What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 295. And uh, we are coming in on this episode with a special, I guess, the second installment of our Watch Em All series that we're doing. Uh, we did a couple, a few weeks back, we did the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the first two films, Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Mm. And today we're going to uh, circle back around and put the second installment together. And we're going to be talking about uh, the third and fourth installment, Dream Warrior and the Dream Master. Not just Dream Warrior, Steve. Dream Warriors. Or plural. There's more than one Dream Warrior. But that's is what, there? That's what makes it so exciting. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good question. We'll, we'll figure that out. But yeah. um, yeah, There's so a Dream but, Wizard. But 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 to circle back, like I'm Steve, and you you said I'm that. Ron. But who else is here? You got Ron, I'm Ron and I'm John. And in my dreams, I'm beautiful and bad. <laughs> You're not dreaming uh, when that happens, John. That's that's now. <laughs> No. Oh, man. Before we get started, I have a story I'd like to tell about this guy. You all know him. He had me scared as hell. He comes to me at night after I crawl into bed. He's burnt up like a weenie, and his name is Fred. He wears the mm. same hat and sweater every single day, and even if it's hot outside, he wears it anyway. He's gone when I'm awake, but he shows up when I'm asleep. I can't believe that there's a nightmare on my Holy street. On my street. Uh, man, one of the better verses of that time, <laughs> Willie Smith. Big Willie, killing it with that song. I, he had on his own rap song. That, but that's that's uh, that's the Fat Boys, right? That's no, not- that's that's uh, Fresh Prince. That's Will oh. Smith. Oh, so are, you, are, are you doing? Are you ready for Freddy? No, I was doing uh, Nightmare on My Street. Oh, Nightmare on My Street. Oh, I'm thinking of the. I thought you were thinking of the one from the movie that we're talking about, which was. Are you ready for Freddy by the Fat Boys? <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about the one that I think is we actually have to treat as canonical because it occurs between <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street three and four. So, but when we finish three, before mm. we move on to four, we have to take into account the events in the narrative of Nightmare right. on My Street, which oh, came wow. out between those two. It's, it's the connective tissue. Yes, that, it is. It kind of is. It kind of is. Right. It's, right. it's like okay. a Marvel uh, one shot kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, sure, that works. <laughs> yeah, man. Any that stuff scared the shit out of me. Like, how could Will Smith, one of my favorite actors, collaborate with such a psycho? I don't. I never got it. I never got it. it didn't make sense. Because Freddie was about, everything. You're man. talking about uh, Jazzy a... Jeff. <laughs> well, early Fresh Prince, man. He, he he was untouchable to me. No, no. He was. I'm not even knocking it. I understand the role. I, yeah. I mean, it's like I think we all know the Will Smith story. You know, went in lots of different directions. But I think that mm. uh, I feel like if you don't enjoy. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, at least some of that. Yeah. I don't know who yeah. you are. I don't want to talk you, to you if you don't enjoy crazy some of that. Sauce. Yeah. You're crazy sauce. You like know that music actually... is designed to be super enjoyable. You know what I mean? Like it's designed yeah. to be like it was yeah, right. They were originally cast in the role of uh in uh House Party. They were originally oh. supposed to be the two leads and then they didn't do it and then Kid and Play came and created I I'd say the first three, first two were amazing. The third crazy as shit but i loved it are you pumped for the remake I, I, i'm so scared i'm so scared man i'm so scared because they just announced I, like the, the the two leads last i forget who it was I, but i know they just dropped the names last week or yeah. earlier this week i saw them I'm, I'm a little excited about that man um it doesn't seem like they take a long time to film just because it's it's no special effects it's just people walking around and doing crazy shit yeah um but yeah, I'm ex- I am excited about that. 
Um, Maybe so, that'll be our next watch them all when we're done with oh, Nightmare on Elm Street. We'll do House Party. <laughs> would love that. That actually would sounds fun. That. <laughs> That's just three <laughs> yeah. movies, so we could get them all in one episode. So yeah. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd yeah. be a brief watch them all. Um, but yeah, <sighs> Nightmare on so Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. They came out in successive years. They came out in 1987 and 1988. This is that era... This is that time I mean, when they were just really cranking these things out. And what's funny is if you watch any kind of making of, they'll talk about it the way they talk about movies now. And they'll say, oh, when we finished this one and we saw how well it did, we went back to the drawing board and we knew we wanted to reinvent the saga. Da, da, da. They talk about all this development time, you know. But then it's like um, a movie basically is in theaters the same time the next year. It's just funny to me yeah. the schedule that they were on. And how briefly, yeah. like, you know, maybe in that period, hiring new directors, getting, you know, like in, an influx of money. These movies were pretty successful. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do sort of feel like these two movies are both, I, they are stretching their budgets. I'm not saying the effects have aged that well, but they're both... Mm -hmm doing a lot with effects and they're they're both like really yes. amb really ambitious uh in Real. that sense and inventive and i think that's something about horror that i sort of i feel like i forget about when i'm thinking about what i love about the genre is the just inventiveness the literal inventiveness of the filmmakers that they have to figure out a way to do this like a scene that's crazy especially with nightmares being the basis of it it's like how do we visualize this and right. they, you know, for four or five million dollars at most for these two movies, um, I don't know. I just think that it's a. I, I think that people don't give them credit because later they seem kind of cheesy or they look kind of dated. But just how, how cool it was that they were trying so many things. <clears throat> I think that's also like, just that idea for horror movies and specifically here is that like, they can become so dated because like they're constantly being challenge and like you know these filmmakers are like always trying to figure out new ways to make things look better not just special effects in general in in movie making but in specifically in horror movie special effects and you know kills and monsters and just gore and you know just scares and things like that like i just think that it's such a playground for low budget filmmaking that like they do have to get creative and i think just the fact that you know every you know every few years there's like you know this really Im impressive new horror movie that comes out that has something about it that feels really fresh and new. And it's because of that, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and special effects, you know, they may not age, you know, 20, 30 years later as well as they maybe looked when these movies came out. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like these two specifically, um, you really, well, actually, I mean, honestly, even the, even some of the last ones that we talked about, I mean, the series in general, I think they do a lot with like Freddie and like a lot with, you know, the kills and especially when you kind of get into this, like, uh, like this phase of Freddy and where they go with the franchise at this point, because it really does feel, you know, uh, Dream Warriors is definitely like the demarcation point of like where they embraced like how much fun they could have with, you know, what they could do in the dreams and like what they could do in nightmares and things like that and, and, and made it a lot more fun and dark. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's 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 just really impressive that you know from from my from my money and my opinion of the whole series and you know we kind of talked about it before it's like i think these two actually are probably like the best bang for your buck of the whole series because of where they go with freddie where they go with the characters the ensemble cast really kicks in and you get to really know some of the characters and you start to really kind of i don't know care about them more like when their time comes to have their nightmare but i mean i think they really kind of hit a stride um and you know with the filmmakers and the and the and you know the, the the creative team that were behind these movies you know you just really feel like the it kicked into a second gear uh in terms of a franchise with these two it, it, you know in, in my opinion 
Yeah, I feel like this is somehow kind of peak yeah. Freddy in a way. Because I, yeah. I, I, in my recollection, it's after this that it starts to be a little bit more about the sort of elaborate kills and less about the kind of characters in the story and a little bit more like Freddy's our, our hero and so we're there yeah, to see him crack exactly. wise. And I'm not saying that the characters in the story are like, oh, oh, he's so top-notch in these. It's just that they, like you said, they do work to make you care and they do give you the occasional character death that feels like, oh, that person feels like they were meant for more in the story or that's kind of sad the way that happened or just you right. feel a little bit of that sting that you remember from particularly the first one where each of the deaths really felt really close and personal to to the story because they were right. like people that Nancy needed or whatever. And I don't know. I think, yeah, it's like it kind of resists the tendency to spin out of control in a way. And I think that like sequel after sequel, especially in horror, the characters do become more and more interchangeable. Um, and not to say that you're not starting to see that happen. And it is a little bit funny. And I guess if, particularly in part four, we'll talk about like here's a scene and a characters roll up and each character walks up and says, I really love ice cream. And you're like, well, that person's <laughs> going to die with ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I, in these... the third one, in the, Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> no, go ahead, no I'll, um, yeah, I just, yeah, they, something about the way these two were put together. They really focus on the relationships between all the characters. They let it breathe. They let it breathe. Um, everybody has, a couple one-liners, uh, and because the interconnectedness between the characters, uh, you really do like, like Steve said, connect with these characters in a different way. Um, and the way that they set it up, the 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 kill, the kills are not what you expect them to be, and I, I think that's really you're like, okay, there's a there's a black dude in this, he's gonna die first. He is. He's just going to die. I know movies. I know right. what's going to happen. Right. And then it just kind of flips everything on its head and does a lot of cool stuff. Lawrence Fishburne being the... The, 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 the orderly. The orderly who is... He, he has a connection to all these people. He calls them his kids. Yeah. Like, you, you, you really do feel something. And Patricia Arquette acting her ass off. I don't care what anybody says. Patricia Arquette is doing something in this, man. That feels very almost electric and I, i'm sad that you know she doesn't carry over into four that makes me super sad. I when know. i saw that i was just like get the hell out of here patricia arquette yeah. killed in that, that the third one she's really you really feel the emotion in it so well, well we're definitely in the conversation about nightmare on elm street three then so let's just give a brief pedigree of this movie it was uh, directed by chuck russell um the screenplay was by wes craven who it was back to i think kind of more work on a story yeah. um, with Bruce Wagner, or maybe even just give some notes. Uh, but the really interesting thing is Frank Darabont, uh, you know, who would later become the director and writer of big films like Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and and help launch Walking Dead as a, as a television series. Um, and the awesome Jim Carrey film, The Majestic, that no one stops talking about how great it is. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, this that's a pretty interesting pedigree. I think that... These horror films, it's 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 cool who's come through the genre. The fact that Frank Darabont did a polish on this script, it's like he's known for writing these kind of precise, you know, scripts, and or that just really deliver these punches and that deliver these character moments. And and I think that you can kind of feel that that in this movie, you can feel the 
not so much classic structure or whatever, but you can just feel that they're trying to make a movie. They're trying to do something different. I feel like particularly with this third one, from the very beginning, it really feels like they're doing something. They're letting you into this world in a different way. They're showing you different characters that we don't know and how are they connected to this Elm Street thing, and they let it take its right. time. And you talk about uh, Pat- Patricia Arquette, uh, Ronald. One of my notes in, in the first like five minutes of watching this was just, and introducing Patricia Arquette. It's like she was a nobody before this, and here she is in this, and she is doing something. that She did something to legitimize it and to give it weight and to give it this mood and atmosphere right from the start in that in that opening scene where she's making the kind of papier-mâché house. I want to tell you, though, she was putting way too much glue on. That, that was excessive Elmer's usage. Yeah. She plopped those drops down to put down the little roof slab. <laughs> I was like, she they better, not be, the... better not be pressing it down too hard because there's just going to be, you know, everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I think that that opening feels like, again, it feels like the opening of a movie. They're let, it's like an op- it's both a, an opening sequence with like somebody doing something over the credits and it's intermingled with the credits. So it gives them some time to kind of let you into the mood. But it just right. felt like a movie. And having seen this movie almost, I mean, I would say countless times, but this is the first time in many years I've watched it. It was amazing how familiar it was to me. And yet the feeling that this is a real movie and that this is like an attempt to do something filmically interesting um, and like I said before, kind of creative and inventive. Like I felt it from the very start. Like this is it. Just mm. a this was made with a lot of care and a lot of passion behind it. It feels like. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Steve? I, I know I know that you love this movie from way back, but did rewatching it kind of reignite any thoughts or anything? Like just just yeah, is it like a Pavlovian I mean, response at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean this is definitely my favorite nightmare. I mean this this one really? for sure. Yeah, of all the, of all the whole series, this would be the one. If I had to pick one, it'd be this. And it's mainly just because of what you guys have already said. The idea that you get like a really strong, great female lead, and you get you know we get not to get ahead, but like, you know you get Heather Langkamp back, and you get this awesome ensemble of just these you know these teens that have a lot of their you know there's a lot of problems that they have before you even factor in you know, uh, Freddy Krueger into the whole mix. So like, I just think that the setting at the, uh, at the hospital, the psychiatric hospital hospital and the way they kind of handle, you know, the approach to, um, trying to use your dreams and your night or your dreams slash nightmares, whatever you end up being uh, in, like, as like a, a, a place of power, you know, for like what these characters really kind of like, like in life. And what they want to be in life and unfortunately what they can't be at the point they are in their life there's just a lot of like really interesting things like that going on in a in a in a uh you know sequel number three to a horror franchise but i do really think it kind of sets the rest of the franchise off in the direction that it goes and some are good some are bad but i think that this is the starting point where it kind of takes that course and i think it just a lot of it just works really good some of the effects are really Again, yeah, they may not age well, but I mean, like when you go through this movie and you watch some of the sets that they built and some of the puppeteering that they did for some of these effects, they're just, I I mean, they're amazing when you think they like made this movie for $4 million or whatever it was. Um, But yeah, like what John was saying, like the Frank Darabont, you know, involvement and also Chuck Russell, who is kind of in his own right, like a beloved, you know, kind of genre director, you know, the the Blob remake is... uh, a great remake yes. i mean it's like a it's a gem of a movie and he's kind of got this one too you know that he's got the, this one in that movie and you know he did like the mask and uh jim carrey I, that's what you said jim carrey i thought you were talking about chuck russell like he did the mask <laughs> um but i don't know like there's just a lot of really positive things um while still maintaining 
it doesn't get too far into Freddie being too hokey or too jokey or too no, much of that. He's guy. really not that much in three. Right. I mean, he, he has a few lines like Schwarzenegger style exactly, lines, but exactly. it doesn't seem like that's his personality almost. They've just done enough to insert him more into pop culture and to get him into the MTV generation and to make this movie, this and four really are like right in that mainstream of MTV. And when he kind of starts to infiltrate that and there's enough in the movies that it can get that in, in, introduction into that culture, uh, into pop culture. But there's there's a balance of like Freddie's still pretty scary and like he's not truly fucking around like, you know, he really yeah. is brutal in how he like is exploiting you know like i just said like you know some of these characters try to leverage their dreams to be power centers and like to be the thing that they can't be and how he just like takes that away in some of these situations is like really mean and dark yeah. and you know and it but it works though and that's really where that balance of all that is really where this one just kind of is like the standout for me of the of the series Let's do give a little bit of just like a like a quick run through of some of the plot aspects, because I think the way this movie is structured that way is one of the things that sets it apart, too, from the other two. And the first one, you know, you have the sort of set in the suburbs based around the suburban house. Nancy right. finds out her parents were involved. It's very local. It's very personal. It branches out. Next one gets more branched out because you're getting in a character who's in the house five years later, I guess, which seems... Or yeah, which seems odd. Right. Like the timeline's yeah. a little messed up there, but like we don't really know how long. It's it's kind of like Jedi in the Star Wars universe. People seem to forget about Freddy pretty quick in this world. You know, <laughs> oh, do. that's just a legend. Um, but uh, th- I do think with Freddy, there's also the suggestion that there's some kind of like it's not quite like it, where there's almost like a a part of the magic is that the adults don't know, but there is some kind of silence amongst the adults, and they don't. They don't yeah. th- that that they keep it quiet and that the kids suffer for that. But the idea that there's you know we're seeing someone who's clearly going through something similar to what the kids were going through in the first movie, Patricia Arquette's character, and it ends up in what looks like a suicide attempt. And you were talking about how scary Freddie still is in this movie. I thought that that opening scene, like there was one image I had completely forgotten about, where she goes into the room with all the hanging kids. Yeah, Jesus, that that's really that's really scary. And then yeah, even though it was kind of corny with the way it's done, she's when she looks down and she's carrying yeah. a dead kid except it's like a, it's like a skeleton you know it's a little too like skeleton like a skeleton yeah, yeah, with a wig yeah, yeah. on kind of thing and a little dress she but ran it, really but, fast with that kid man. but but She's still like... that's that, that scene though where and also where freddie's like behind her in the background and he's like out of focus running towards yeah. her pretty scary and yeah. i'm thinking then about oh they're yeah. kind of revealing him to us again you know and they did that in the second one too they kind of reveal him to you again even though we know him and we know his his little his little motifs, the the scratching on the metal and stuff. But in that scene where she's in the bathroom, I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting that, like, there's something about those blades coming out. Out of the handles. And and water. Yeah. That makes you think about how much blood there would be and how blood is instantly thinned by water. That is always... That always gets me, like, the notion of, like, being in the shower and being sliced up because it's like the blood and the water are mixing and you're just... I don't know. There's something about it that's just... (laughs) Makes it feel so bloody, you know? And I just... And then the fact that, you know, then that's a pretty traumatizing, like, you know... I mean, I could almost see that being triggering for some people to see that kind of just suicide attempt. This movie's got a very... Not blasé attitude about suicide, but it talks about suicide in a really harsh way and treats it in this kind of... You know, both suicide and rape actually get used in this story in a way that you could argue feels a little flip for yeah. for you know what that yeah. might do to viewers, but it adds to the horror. Um, 
of this moment of like now she's she's going to be misunderstood her mom's going to think she's crazy and she's a danger to herself so she ends up in this institution with these other kids and it turns out you know she's basically in a group like a suicide survivors group of kids that have all been having freddy experiences and they've all kind of ended up here and the coincidence of that would almost bother you if the movie didn't just barrel on into it and get into these like group therapy scenes and stuff where people's characters coming out and I mean, it's actually, the coincidence is deepened by the fact that the survivor of the biggest Freddy incident is now an intern at the hospital, and luckily she's making eyes at uh, Craig Wasson, the, the blandest leading man ever. <laughs> <laughs> Neil. <laughs> Neil Gordon, the good doctor, Dr. Sims, the mean doctor. I mean, you get these sort of things sketched in very quickly, but what I was really feeling, and I was remembering too, was how... I hate that sort of thing where like institutionally someone's screwed and like something happens and the, there's a lockdown and the rules change and it gets worse and worse for the people who are not going to be believed when they talk about what's really happening to them. And like, particularly there's a moment later in the movie where Sims like is very much in the right to say to fire Dr. Neil Gordon and to send Nancy mm-hmm. packing too, because of everything that's happening. You know, it really sounds crazy what they're saying, but we know it's true. I just think that kind of tension, it, it, it gives me a, you know, right. it works on me. So throughout this movie, these kids are in this situation that can become increasingly perilous for them because they can literally be locked up in a room and then, uh, sedated, you know, um, so wow. yeah, it's just a crazy scenario, and I think that sort of puts it. This this is not the usual uh, stalker slasher Freddy movie, whatever you want to call it, because they're in this confined situation. It's almost like a a psychological horror film on top of a a Freddy film, you know? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, it's it really is pretty interesting to watch it. Kind of that you know parts of it being as grounded as it is, um, specifically when Neil. It's talking about the hotshot doctor that he doesn't want to come, and then Nancy comes, and it's like Nancy from the first Freddy. They this this did a really good job of intro, reintroducing her in a way that just felt like, oh man, she's grown up. She has a little gray in her hair from stress, and and she's ready to get to the bottom of this shit. And um, this this group of misfits that she's introduced to are really likable even kincaid who who is stuck in like a 70s style of acting that i feel really bad for any actor that got kind of caught in that you you know what i'm talking about like i kind of know around what you mean. that it there's like this corner that happened in the 80s where like all the acting got a little more grounded like where every if you watch Lawrence fishburne he's he's very much like yeah, you better be careful, or this. Oh, he's supernatural. He's he's he almost. Natural in it. I almost wish we got more of him because he brings such a cool, grounded, yeah. centered, realistic energy to his role. Yeah. and I'm almost surprised more didn't happen with him in the movie. He almost seems like he would have been more like fodder or something. Right. Um, in fact, I, my argument would be that we don't need Neil Gordon that much once Nancy is on the scene. Um, okay. So I, give I think Neil Gordon, I, I, I'm not going to do this this early, and I don't like rewriting movies, but my in my version of this movie, Neil Gordon would be like seeming like he's going to be the leading man when Nancy comes around, and then he would have a death early in the movie, and then Max, the orderly, would become more her partner and helper and eyes at the hospital. Because then you get Lawrence Fishburne something to do, and I'm not sitting there wondering why... 
we're hanging out with these two stiffs whenever they cut to Nancy and, and Neil because I mean as much as I love I love Heather Langenkamp and I thought she, I think she's so cute and she's so pretty in this movie and I remembered my crush for her when this movie was new and I was certain scenes <laughs> where I'm like oh look at her lips and her kind of buck teeth and her cute nose I mean I just love her in this movie but she's also kind of stiff there's one scene where she and Neil Gordon are at his house talking and it's like the, they've done everything they can to make this scene dynamic he's at the window with like noir uh, you know uh, blind like shadows through the blinds cast on his face and there's like city noises outside the window and she's sitting by the light of a flickering fire <laughs> and they still somehow managed to <laughs> seem like stiffs or like a little bit bland and then they cut back to the kids and they're a bit more dynamic so I feel like one less stiff in the movie uh, Nancy has a little bit more to do uh, give Lawrence Fishburne more to do and then you know I'm not yeah. sitting there watching this movie just wondering like all the way to the very end of the movie going like why do i why do i care about neil gordon like of all the characters and i don't buy his uh badass moment with john saxon either where he throws john saxon against a post i didn't buy that impossible yeah, did you see how moment. big john saxon was like he was just like <laughs> jacked and old uh, and older which you know he, he didn't stand a chance in real life and it was crazy aaron and i actually joked about that because he he actually kind of threw him yeah. Anyway, he beat him up and kind of th- knocks like, the table no. over. It's like, all right, that let me would, get one thing straight. But that anyway, would never I, happen. from a Sorry. character standpoint, I do think you're right, Ronald. Like the weight of like when when we're reconnected with new characters and old characters, and they have equal weight. Um, and like Heather Langenkamp, the way she comes into this movie, I do love that. In a sequel to a, a horror movie, I love it when they when the character comes back. You know, the person who knows yes. what's up comes back. Um, it's a, the moment she comes in is kind of it's another one of those kind of crazy moments. Like Patricia Arquette is having that moment where she's crying and saying the Freddie rhyme yeah. at the orderlies, yes. and then like Heather Langenkamp finishes it for her from the door, and everyone turns and we see it's Nancy. Um, but no, I yeah, I think that. That's the kind of shit I especially loved at the time. Is like, okay, it's part three. Let's bring everybody we can back. You know, let's 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 kind of. It almost feels like this movie was trying to be the end of a trilogy. You know, honestly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I bet they were. I bet they were trying to close it out, and then they're just like, nope. There's this. There's this in mind. Not, yeah, not when it makes ten times the budget. <laughs> right. Keep it. Keep it moving. Yeah. Um, you know, there there is a very interesting rule change that happens in this one and, and that is Patricia Arquette's character Chris, Kristen finds out that she can bring people into into her dreams. A mutant power. Which is really, which is really fucking cool. And I don't think it's... It, okay, Steve I know you're, you're like hardcore Freddy. How did you feel about this rule change being brought into the game? Because this, um, this is pretty big, man. Uh, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a way to hand the series off to a different lead. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think that as a kid you were just like, hey, I'm no well, dummy. I mean, when, well, I mean, like when I'm watching the movie, like you know, uh, it makes sense by the time you get to the end of it and you realize what happens to Nancy. But uh, you know, I think even watching this and then watching four and what they do with that character, you start to see like what they're doing with like the idea of having like carryover leads or carryover characters from one movie to the next. But I mean, I don't know, like that rule being inserted is like, I think eventually you've got to get creative and like how you make this interesting and not just have the same thing over and over again, whether it works entirely, I don't, maybe it's a little corny, but I do, I do, I actually quite like it. And I especially like it because like the scene where she realizes that and Nancy falls back through that chair. It's awesome. 
it's awesome. It's 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 yeah. awesome scene. And like it's like yeah, yes, it's let's really do good. this. Like two of them against him. Let's see what this looks like. Like that's the first time you really see like two characters interacting with Freddy at the same time in the dreamscape. You're in the dream world or whatever, which I thought makes the movie really interesting, especially when you see where the movie goes with the hypnosis and all that stuff. I think it also works great later when they rejoin her. She's in the padded yeah. cell and their 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 gambit works and they kind of wake her up and they, she's like, "Oh my god." And I just don't think you get that moment in many of these horror movies where you are actually keeping the horror intact for the largest yeah. part. I mean, again, these movies aren't as scary. The first one is still the scariest one, maybe. Like sure. the one where Freddy's the most, it's the most like the real world with nightmare stuff leaking into it. This this yeah. one, though, has a couple of, like you said, Steve, mean sequences where the idea of being with Freddy, the, the sadism of that character makes him scary, more so than like the actual atmospherics of them running around in a nightmare realm, which often looks very much like it's kind of like... You know the sets are, are are imaginative and cool, but they kind of look painted like a like a school play set sometimes. And I'm not yeah. even dinging it. I'm just saying because I already said they did so many things. They're trading like control and like that kind of quality uh, that you can get when you're when you're striving for excellence and you're keeping it simple. They're going in the other direction. They're like, let's not keep it simple. Let's do everything we can do, and we're just gonna maybe just do it. But there are still some yeah. really cool shots and some things that actually do still work for in terms of the atmosphere. And some moments that are just kind of funny. But also, I don't know, maybe they were meant to be like, there's a moment late in the movie when uh, when uh, Nancy comes after she's been fired uh, to sit, talk to the kids and Lawrence Fishburne's like, well, they're in the TV room and it cuts to them in the TV room and the fucking TV room is like, it's got like the no TV and the scorch marks all over the wall from where their friend maybe yes. like either was murdered or killed themselves in the television and they yeah. know, but they're all just in, it's like, oh yeah, we've locked them in the room where their friend died. All these suicidal kids, you know, yeah. which and I'm not laughing at that. I'm just laughing at the oh, movies. No, like like that's one thing the movie does not treat very seriously is the notion of like, therapy towards no. these kids and even dr neil gordon who's like the most sensitive uh character in that way is like after this one character dies philip who we should probably talk about his death because it's one of the meanest in the whole series it's um, probably the best but he um after he's dead like to console the kids and bring them down in the meeting at the group therapy session after that he's like what philip did was a cowardly act he right. couldn't yes right. and it's like geez i mean i don't think they're talking about suicide like that in no in i think institutions. they are he, he says it again he's like right. yeah he gave up let's be clear he, though philip a... sucks no but like <laughs> yeah let's do talk about that death though because i think people mention that one as one of the most gruesome i mean you steve you're you're a student of horror what oh is it God, about that death man. that lingers in your mind I think the setup is just so great. I mean, like you learn about Philip's character and, you know, you, you learn his kind of thing is the whole sleepwalking, uh, you know, the sleepwalking angle. And, and he makes marionettes. And, and you see that he yeah. makes the marionettes or the puppets or whatever. And it just leads into like just a it's like your first dose of like a really we mentioned it earlier, just like this idea of like what their little thing is, is how Freddie's going to try to get them, you know, and it's like you get the setup of the, you know, the puppets and the sleepwalking and, you know, and you see that leveraged with a really cool, like stop motion, you know, sequence with the, the Freddy puppet. And, you know, and ultimately when Philip is walking around and Freddie is like, you know, the vain marionette thing, like that visual is fucking incredible. And the kids watching it happen, trying yeah. to wake him up yeah. is heartbreaking. I mean, yeah, it makes it super dark that they all see it. Especially when you see how the kids are working together, like, you know, when lights out and like they go on these shifts and you know, you get first watch Joey, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they're, they're doing all this stuff. And, 
you know, and, and, and it's Joey who is watching it when he sees what's happening, who doesn't even really talk. You yeah. know, it's like the setup for the sequence is of, of most of the other kills in this movie or the series. It just the setup is just so great because of like the quick the quick introduction to the kids, the quick introduction to how they are trying to handle it amongst themselves before they realize that Nancy may be able to help them. And also just like the first kill of like who's going to get it first of these kids. And it's the one that's probably beyond Kincaid is like maybe the most outspoken, you know, in the little group session when they're talking about things. I was going to talk to you about that, Steve. I never noticed before this time. I don't know how many times you've seen this movie, Ronald, but I imagine you've seen it dozens of times, Steve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen it tons of times. This was the first time I noticed that they're there's a bait and switch with Philip that yes. we're probably meant to think Philip is going to be a main character because he yes. does get every line yeah. he can get. And he's like, even doing a little bit of like the, this is the James Dean. This is like a Corey Feldman esque kind of actor doing a cool, he's like, it's, it's, that's true. Yeah. It's like, all right, folks, let's think about this. You know I mean? He's like the guy who's kind of like being wise and a little bit precocious and maybe have a little bit of a cool guy. But I think, I, you know, you're programmed to think, oh, I like this guy. Or just like you said, he's outspoken. He stands out. I remember when I was a kid and I saw this, I really liked Kincaid too. And I think it's the similar thing. He stands out. What yeah. you said, Ronald, that acting style, it is kind of true. It's a little bit more theatrical. I'd forgotten yes. just how angry he is from the start, but I, it was all coming back to me. And I was like, oh yeah, Kincaid's whole thing is that his anger like feeds into his power, but it also is the thing that gets him in trouble you know so again that's yet another thing that makes him kind of he's stuck in this situation where he keeps making it worse for himself uh by standing yeah. up for himself but no philip yeah in those opening scenes even <laughs> when philip is sleepwalking out of the room and kincaid like stops short of waking him up and is like yeah, yeah. enjoy your stroll asshole right. i don't know i just feel like it's full <laughs> yeah. of those little moments where you go oh yeah they're building in like this character now is going to feel bad or this like you said steve the horror of these kids watching watching him jump seemingly to his death but they can tell he didn't jump and they're unable mm. to do anything about it it is like you know maybe you don't have to think too much about how he gets where he's going and what's going on in the hospital but it feels like it's well staged and for a horror movie a scene like that at night you know to juggle like five or six characters it's rare it's just rare in a movie to have that kind of moment at all uh, in this yeah. kind of you know like i said slasher films typically in the sequels they get less and less ambitious um but that yeah. death does stand out does that one stand out to you too ronald is there a particular death that that you you know other than that one that really stands out <clears throat> um i can't i say i'm blending i don't want to blend them together because sometimes yeah, no. part four's uh, got a whole different bag of tricks in it <clears throat> yeah um not even a death because she lives, but when Freddie is like eating, yeah, uh, Kristen, the, the Freddie snake, the Freddy comes snake. Up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Freddie snake that looks so or worm, I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I mean, all the parts are being articulated, so it looks so scary. It's like his eyes are moving, the the mouth is moving, so it's like moving in a way. And taking these chunks, well, trying to take these chunks out of her body, yeah. trying to swallow yeah. her whole. I can't, it's burned in my brain. Like, just the eyes a, were so crazy. It's a pretty iconic, like, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. It's a really big uh, set piece. And it, it is one of the top three or four things that most people remember about this movie. And we mentioned it on the last episode of, of the Nightwear rewatch. That documentary, The Never Sleep Again, um, Elm Street Legacy Doc that is definitely recommended for anybody who likes the series. They talk a lot about 
that scene and like there's some really cool like behind the scenes footage and like stills of just like the practicality of how they did that and like her like Patricia Arquette like in like this like rigged things like mouth and like how they're moving her around it's just like a really cool thing to think about like you know in whatever 87 or whatever it was like how they were able to accomplish this on a movie like like a Nightmare on Elm Street it's a pretty cool scene yeah. yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's one of the big effects, but it's by far from the only one, you know. So, yeah, yeah the fact that they had that large practical thing coming out, and it comes out so suddenly, too, and it does feel like, ugh, like the way he's doing it, it's like, it's yeah, gross. yeah. It's really yeah. gross. It's really gross and unsettling. And I think that's the moment when she first calls Nancy in, too. So, that scene is just like, it ramps up, uh, Nancy falling yeah. back through the chair and everything. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if there's another. Yeah, I, I have to say, I think that in terms of iconic moments, I think that Welcome to Primetime Bitch is one that stands out Definitely. in my mind a lot. It, yeah. And I was I was thinking, is that the first bitch? But I think actually we did track, there's a bitch in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, right? Like towards the end, he says bitch to somebody, but it's it's not quite the same kind of bitch. But am I wrong? Has he been calling people bitch all along? We might need to go back and pick this up in a future episode. I wanted to have time to... But I think we found that the first time he says it was not like this way of like yeah, tagging yeah, a line yeah. with it, you know? It's such a tag. Where it becomes Man. like his thing to say. But but that moment is very sad. And it also is funny that like every scene this character is in, we have to talk about how she's going to be on television and she has to be like, my face is literally going to be on a television one day. You know, it has to be like as, as ironic yeah. as it can be. But it's also very sad and her like burning herself with a cigarette to like stay awake. And we know she's like in this institution and she's a suicidal... It's like, that's just one more... That's just... It's like... A kind of a grim depiction of where these kids are mentally, you know, that like she's yeah. sitting there burning herself with cigarettes to, so that she won't fall asleep and get killed in her sleep. Right. Um, and also the Dick Cavett moment on the television is still creepy. I did think him him kind of going <laughs> Freddy for a second and then it going staticky. I mean, you know, that doesn't even have to involve Freddy. Just the idea of you're watching some benign show and then suddenly something fucked up happens and it goes off. Um, that That's just a creepy idea. Like that always gets me. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, that, that might be the first one. I don't know. I'm trying to remember what it was in Freddy's Revenge. I don't know if I can't remember if there was one in Freddy's Revenge. Well, you know. Oh, you know what it is? Is it? It's at the pool party, right? When he pops up out of the ground, like what? Is, what, what <laughs> I think I think that's the scene. I think it's when that grill catches on fire. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, when they're on yeah. the little patio. Yeah, I, I think he does like look through it and say, I think you're right, actually. It might be that one. He says that. <laughs> I, I remember, I think Bloody Disgusting, they have like a, a supercut of every time he says it, but I don't know really? if it's... Yeah, I don't think... I don't know if it like breaks down what the first one was, if it's just like a bunch of clips, but... um, The, the Terran death scene is probably one of the most fucked up to me. Like, because it's like playing on people's drug addiction and the and the holes are like yeah the little the, no, the the puckering like oh, mouth yeah, on her arm is that's so disturbing what? the body so horror of that so disturbing oh yeah and then he like sticks i'm like this is not a fun death this is very cruel it's fucked up i mean but that's yeah. that's what freddie does he like you know he takes that thing and flips it on his head whatever yeah. it is whatever your vice is or whatever your dream is like it's it's just Man, he really establishes in this one just how fucked up he can he can turn flip these things on you, and I was I was devastated when I saw that. I was just like, ugh, 
the uh to, to to circle back for a second to the to the the vein puppet when uh so we we go to the halloween horror nights every year down at universal orlando and mm-hmm. a few years ago they had a, a freddy house or it might have been a freddy versus jason house i forget which one it was i think it was a nightmare on Elm street house but they like recreated the the vein puppet scene in the house oh. Like with Freddy and like the like the like the long veins and like the character at the bottom, like what that was like Philip. God, that it was a it was like Lauren and I, like we were going through it like completely just like geeking out when that was in it. Cause usually like they have this like things where Freddy's just coming out and scaring you, but it was like an actual right. scene that they recreated. Oh wow. And it was that one because it is a really popular one, but it looked amazing. It was like I couldn't take pictures because you can't have cameras in there, but like was, or you can't take yeah. pictures in there. But it was like they knocked out of the park. It looked it looked so cool. It looked so cool. Uh, I just want you guys to know it was inconclusive. I looked. Uh, there's a compilation. There is like a supercut of him saying "bitch," uh, but it's just different lines from out from throughout the series, and I can't tell if they're in the the in order. But I don't think any of them came from the first two. So the first one they mm. showed was "Welcome to Primetime, Bitch," but maybe because that's just the most famous one. But either way, <laughs> this is definitely the movie where he's saying "bitch," he's carving it into Joey. I mean, "bitch" is it's happening. It's it's yeah, the, it's like it's the it. curse come word get of choice. Yeah, come, come get, get him, bitch, mm. bitch, <laughs> bitch, bitch. <laughs> and the font uh, was so well yeah, spaced, well, like. Yeah. He has really good spacing. Freddie, when he writes his, his demonic messages, the spacing, the font. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we get an introdu- introduction to these kids that are just getting it. They're getting it in ways that you just could not imagine. The and only one we haven't yeah. talked about is Will, the, uh, the, the, the wheelchair user who... Um, is a wizard in his in his dreams, yeah. and he has the most cringe-inducing <laughs> his delivery of "In my dreams, I am the wizard I'm master." A wizard. I'm a wizard. <laughs> oh man, so good. Freddie seemed to like, especially love from killing him, man. It was it was like a joy in him killing this this nerdy kid that just felt <laughs> really like. Freddie enjoyed that death. He's just like, I'm gonna kill the shit out of this nerd. It chased he chased him, man. Like once you get chased, it just is a falling and being chased and <sighs> Well, yeah, he sent the chair, like a, a, a deadly version of the chair after him, and then he makes a bunch of yeah, mean cracks man. about that, about how he's going back into the chair <laughs> and it's the chair for you, kid, and all that kind of stuff. But then he um Yeah, then he just grabs him and kills him. Like after the kid uses his <laughs> wizard powers and everything. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, nope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that with Taryn and her knife fighting abilities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of think in both cases, if this were you know unlimited whatever budget and time, we might have seen more epic battles or something. But I do think what you said, Steve, is like we see them use their power, even if it doesn't necessarily work out for them. Work, Just that yeah. they're given that moment of fighting back, that idea of yeah. fighting back, is what this movie was all about. And I do think if you're someone who's freaked out by the concept then you also are that comfort almost of being able to call someone into your dream and help you or having a friend in your dream with you. You know, like, I think that is, that is something real. Yeah. Mm. I just sent you guys a link. I, I, I we, we, I okay. confirmed it. It is Freddie's revenge. You were right. You were right initially, John. Okay. <laughs> he has a line. He has a line. We'll see, bitch. We'll just see. Yeah. I think that's like in that. I think it's like in the fight with the. Uh, I think that's against the girlfriend, isn't it? Or it's at the I end when, when. I think it's it, like 
in the final I, battle at the it's definitely the scene in the supercut where there's like a fire in front of him and, and his like freddy makeup looks like real shitty it's like that it's that it's that one okay so yeah i do remember that moment i think it's from yeah. that final moment at the factory or whatever i think you're right the, i think you're the, right the giant boiler factory. but you're right this is yeah. where it really becomes like part of the part of the, the zinger the, the real zinger yeah. that's right that's right that's right um, I, feel, I feel like the guy that did that plays Kincaid was like, "Hey, if I don't give as much, get as many zingers as Freddie, I'm not taking his part." <laughs> he has so many zingers in this movie, and he says it basically like he's doing a a, a movie from '75. Like it, it's the delivery is like from the '70s in an '80s movie, which I especially enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, he likes calling Freddie a pussy, and he like he says. Yeah. Um, uh, what does he say? There's something he yells that's like, or am I, this might actually be in the next one where he says, I'm going to kick your ass all over dreamland. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's in this where I think he says, let's kick this motherfucker's ass all over dreamland. Right. Yes. 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 Right. right. When they get right. When they decide they're going to go back in. Yes. And he also, in his dreams, he, he has the power to break through pre-scored scenery walls. Yeah, that's true. So yes. that's something you really can't beat. And then um, give himself a compliment about his strength after he gets through the barrier. <laughs> I'm strong as shit. Like, he's just very much like into his own strength, which I enjoy. Give him yeah. something better than a chair. To, I don't know. It's like I, I guess it would <laughs> yeah. take strength to do that. It really would. But for some reason, that just didn't seem like as indicative of, of great strength. Right. It's like really, that's okay. That's probably pretty hard to do. Um, but yeah, either way, yeah. they all have their their powers. Uh, Kristen can jump around. She's like a member of the team. I don't know if you remember the Mr. T cartoon, but he was with a group of gymnasts on that cartoon, and those kids <laughs> would just do some somersaults across the room for no reason. Uh, you know, she kind of seems like that. Um, isn't there a kid who can do somersaults in Jurassic Park too? as well isn't that like a plot point that there's like a, a girl with gymnast training in that who like jumps around on a scaffolding at some point uh sure I think so. but anyway I think it's so. always funny to me when a character does gymnastics as any kind of gift in a movie because it is always cutting to the most obvious body double <laughs> doing some crazy gymnastic move and then cutting back yeah. to the actor when they go you know like up and up into the frame um but uh yeah that idea of them fighting back i guess we still the the team we get the cool team that goes in together really is kincaid uh kristen and nancy and meanwhile they're doing that while uh the tough and manly neil gordon is roughing up sheriff thompson is that their last name is it nancy thompson i think it is um yeah and uh or the former sheriff was he still wearing a cop's uniform he in the bar he was when he was drunk, it was very like he had yeah. like it. It was very, it was still yeah. his outfit, but it was very. I think he was open still, and, okay because I'm trying to picture like what because he seems like he's down on his luck and he has this really weird interaction with Nancy. Like I think they were trying to give something to the scene, but it's that weird kind of thing where a, an adult woman is calling her dad daddy, and he's like, "Oh, baby girl, if it's not my little girl, daddy yeah. loves you." You know, it's just this weird <laughs> scene that kind of makes sound like scene. Ron Burgundy. But yeah, <laughs> well, don't you think there's a Ron Burgundy vibe to him? <laughs> Sitting in that like bar, that. kind of drinking oh, in that man. way, but yes, that's maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Um, milk was a bad choice, um, <laughs> but uh, no. Th anyway, th that I do like John Saxon coming back into it. I kind of wish he had a little bit more to do, or that his character wasn't just kind of there to like suit this need. But again, it's all about bringing everybody back together and having everybody play a role. And this new wrinkle is added. We talked about the dream powers. We haven't talked about the new Freddy wrinkle. Uh, this the ghostly nun. Uh, of Amanda, you know, the ghost of Amanda Kruger, who's also a nun named Sister. Spoiler alert. 
sister Mary Helena, who is... Um, that tells, was a twist. Yeah, that is the big like addition to the mythology of Freddy, that I feel like that phrase, he's the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. maniacs. I mean, to me, that's like his... If you know, if Michael Jackson is the king of pop, and David Bowie is the thin white duke, then then Freddie is the bastard son of a of a hundred maniacs. Um, even though I'm not sure if that's how it works biologically, even I don't, I don't want to get too much into the gruesome fate of what happens to that character, but like, I think he's still the son of one maniac, right? Like, right. Just because she was with a, a bunch of maniacs that weekend, that holiday weekend when she was locked in, it's a really awful, terrible story and it's kind of just thrown out there like we're not going to be disturbed by it what did you guys how did you guys feel about that when you first knew that wrinkle with freddie and also just how did you feel watching that scene now did it it was kind of like the suicide stuff it's just handled in such a an indelicate way man when they she says something about it being like a a hundred demons or or something like that about referring to how many times she got assaulted but also like the the demons she well, she said a hundred. She said a hundred maniacs. He's the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Okay. But also, she says she was raped hundreds of times yeah, in the course hundreds of that weekend, of times. and that's just horrifying. I mean, again, it just is like it's hard to like. I don't know. It's just it just takes me out of the movie almost to think about that. But it does create this weird idea of okay, whoever Freddy's dad is is unknown. He's just somebody who was one of the worst of the worst who was locked in this in this institution. Yeah. So. It just didn't age well. I'll tell you that. Like it, it, it did not age well at all. Like assault is just handled was handled so differently back then. So I'll just say that I, I, I was. It was so jarring to hear the story. Yeah. Maybe I would have. Maybe I heard it when I was a kid. I was just like, damn, that's crazy. But hearing it now, I'm just like, oh, oh god, this is a uh, very, 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 very scary. Very fucked up thing to say. Well, it's anytime, you know what's wrong with that almost anytime they do that is it's like any movie that does that, why it's wrong is that if a movie is making you think about stuff that the movie doesn't really want to deal with and kind of move past it, it's like, well, that's a little bit like, I don't know, sensationalist might be the kindest way to put it. But it, yeah, it, it feels like you're now thinking about how gruesome that is and the movie has fully moved on from it as though it's just a little pulpy uh detail but it does add this element of her being a ghost which <laughs> this is the first time i really thought about that oh on top of everything else this is a story about a ghost nun that helps a kindly doctor with this situation you know it's a it's a pretty crazy uh pretty crazy uh story in that regard <clears throat> but it yes. also introduces the religious aspect the yeah well, you know we've got to give him a proper burial essentially um which is like not present in the other two movies at all yeah yeah yeah, do you, what do you think about that being thrown in? I guess both of you who have seen this may probably more times than I have because it, it feels like this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. <laughs> um, the how do you feel like that piece of information adds to the mythology of Freddy? You think it takes away from it? You think it adds anything? And if it does, does it does it make it more interesting? I guess. I don't. I don't know that I really find it all that interesting. Like I'm not. I don't know that I like really in just in general with like a lot of horror movies. Like where a lot of the like the religious stuff comes into these films. I don't. I don't know that I really uh, react to that. I guess the most positively. But I think again, like the same reason of you know we discussed earlier with like you know Kristen's ability to pull you know Nancy in or stuff like that. I just think they're doing something to like try to build out 
not only you know what the leads and the protagonists can do, but also try to build out this this story, this mythology of who who Freddy is and where he comes from. So I think you know you see in some of the sequels that follow, they kind of lean into this a lot more uh, in some more than others. But I don't know, it's it's okay. I don't. It doesn't really. It's nothing really that great to me, to be honest. But right. I, I, I see why it's been added, and it's like a decision that was made to kind of bring that into it because you know there's a lot of power uh, in some of those some of those scenes i mean i think that's exactly what it does is it gives them a framework it gives them something to add in the third movie i think the cool thing about it is that it doesn't really detract from the mythology of freddy too much but in some ways just explaining where he comes from at all it's like doing that to michael myers too it takes away from the singularity of this person like that freddy was just a a killer who did this and then the supernatural part kicked in after the fact after he died and something you know somehow he was able to come back putting that in a religious framework does take away something but it doesn't really change like it doesn't undo the events of the first two movies which is all i really care about when it comes to a sequel quote-unquote ruining (laughs) what what came before it Um, but i kind of know what you mean steve it's it's weird to me how often horror films are like christian films yeah Yeah. like just that they that they adhere to some idea of like a christian and i i think that maybe filmmakers wisely do that because it's in the culture and people respond to it but it is like if it's not handled just right it can make what could be really scary and kind of unknown and unknowable into something that feels like a moral tale or something or you know moral Mm -hmm. lesson and that that's a little bit odd but i don't know if freddie ever totally shakes off the religious imagery after this i don't think it's ever quite as pronounced as this one though maybe i'm wrong but like the fourth one, which we're about to talk about, has elements of that in it, but it's not stated. I don't know. I guess if you get into the idea of souls, this yeah, movie comes it. up with this idea that Freddy is like eating the souls of the people that he's killing and that they're somehow trapped inside him. And I do think that that has a religious connotation to it. But I think without the Catholic stuff and the nun and the and the proper burial and all that and the holy water, everything that's in this movie, I think without that, the soul thing wouldn't feel quite so Judeo-Christian. It would just feel kind of, you know demonically yeah. Yeah, mean yeah, yeah. like in a, in a in a you know more agnostic way just of course he's swallowing their souls you know it just makes it makes what he's doing right. to his de- it makes what he's doing to his victims more mean that he's like trapping them for eternity as well as yeah. as taking their life so i'm trying to think if there's anything else in in this movie that really needs to be commented on i mean there's tons of little things we could mention but as far as like what's really big i think we got to talk about how pretty that malaysian dream doll was uh, because because Neil Gordon sure noticed it from across the room. And it's just this little trinket. And he's like, very pretty. And she's like, oh, that's my Malaysian dream doll. And she goes off to a different place with it. Um, but it does give us the ending image, which is that he now has her Malaysian dream doll uh, on his table, his bedside table, and he has the house that Kristen made. So at the end of the movie, yeah. it's the here we go again. It's their version of the here we go again, Freddy's still around ending, yeah. which is that the light comes on in the little house. I try not to think too much about the physics of what's actually happening in the real world when Freddy's doing what he's doing. This movie has yeah. its way of spilling into the real world. Like I believe that fight in the junkyard with the Ray Harryhausen inspired skeleton coming up and fighting them, that feels like it's in the real world because it's involving them out there and it's 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 his remains. But yeah. That magic, that level of supernatural, I mean, this movie really starts to change it, and the movie we're about to talk about, it becomes almost impossible to determine 
the real like what's happening in the real world when when we see the dreams whereas the first movie i feel like maybe even in the second one that tension between it's actually already starting to slip because remember there's there's that moment in the second one where we weren't sure what's happening in the real world in this moment remember when his friend is yeah. out in the door and freddie busts through him yep. um but i feel like the first movie it's a little bit clearer like okay we see the dream and then we also kind of get a we sometimes get a, a view of what what it looks like to someone who might mm. be watching that person. Right, right. Um, but yeah, at any rate, I think that, uh, that like, it feels like a pretty tight ending, except for that Freddy's still around somehow. What they did didn't work. Uh, we don't really know why it didn't work, though. <clears throat> right. Like, we don't know why it kind of worked. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it either yeah. worked or it didn't work, but it seems like it kind of worked. Like, it stopped him. Um, but it also left us with uh, a black man alive at the end of a horror movie. Uh <laughs> He didn't even die in the last 10 minutes to, to save the white woman. So, I mean, that's something awesome. Um, let's yeah. not, you know, we won't talk about what where that goes uh, just yet. But at the end of this movie, we have kind of a core team of characters that survive. We've got Dr. Neil Gordon, never to be seen again. And then we've got <laughs> Kincaid uh, and Joey, who's found his voice. And, uh, yeah. and um, Kristen, who's about to get reconstructive surgery uh, before we see her again. But um, I don't know. There's something kind of interesting about that team aspect. You know, it does make this movie feel different that you are, even though Kristen is definitely the lead um, and it, the surprise, I guess we should talk about Nancy's death maybe for a second. It just that I do think that feels a little surprising. Like you could have made it to the end without killing her, but it's a, it's an effective, what you said, Steve, we've passed the baton to this yeah. new group of characters and they actually made, you know, made it to the end. It's not just the final girl. It's like the final girl and her two pals. So and they're boring so doctor. Sad that Nancy died. <laughs> yeah, so and the, sad the way he rope doped her was pretty mean too. That was another <laughs> moment where Freddie was just being mean, you know, appearing as he her was. dead father. But that moment would have been so corny if it hadn't been Freddie. It would have been unforgivably corny to have like yeah. her dad drift yeah. down on like these golden lights and like Nancy. I just <laughs> yeah. wanted to tell you, you've always been the best girl in the world. Um, <laughs> What did you think of that moment when Freddy's dying and like and the the lights coming out through him, which actually is a pretty cool. I mean, you know, again, it's really cool. It's a dated like it. effect, but it's a neat idea that as the holy water oh, splashes so cool. on his remains, it pokes holes in his dream self. But yeah. <laughs> do you notice that he just like starts spinning around like a happy little boy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <He's> like... <laughs> I don't know, guys. I just feel silly right now. Wee! And he starts spinning around. Yeah, man. That's this, the striking this one, physicality of Robert England right there, you know. Yeah, yeah, man, he's he's so good in this role, and this this really is to me. If if somebody's like, show me a movie where Freddy is the most Freddy, I'd probably show him this one. It, it, you know, it feels like a good amount of the quips, a good amount of the the deaths are really interesting. Some are cruel, yeah. some are fun. And yeah, it just this is this is probably the best representation of what I've come to know as being the, the image of Freddie that my friends were like, man, Freddie will come in your dreams and, right. and kill you the way that you, you know, I this is this is the Freddie. So yep. Steve, Steve, any any final thoughts? I know this nah, is nah, man, this is this is this is this, I honestly think, you know, that if I had to pick one, this is my one. But I mean, I mm. think as we're going to talk about, you know, the. the Dream Master, I think it's also up there for me. The those two and the original were like my three. I think you know if mm. I had to do a top three, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just again just to reiterate. I mean, we'll talk more about it with Dream Master, but I just really think it's where they really kind of 
shirt up where they wanted to go with the franchise and like you know for better or worse in some sequels and, and later on i just think that the the approach of having a leader of a group and there's like people that have a role and you know you kind of see like where their strengths come in you know in their efforts some fail some succeed but i think you know you kind of get that dark humor in the series now um it doesn't go so serious which i think circle back to what john was saying earlier like how west craven and hamburg like had they proceeded with their original script for the movie would have been a completely different movie and a completely different series and who knows what that even would have been if it would have even continued or been successful but i think pivoting to the way they did with this movie and and dream master is definitely what gave them the legs you know because these two are two of the highest grossing in the franchise period mm. like dream master is the highest grossing until i guess freddie versus jason comes out but you know all three of them um well, this one and three and four are, you know, especially for the time and, you know, with inflation and everything, I don't even know if that's adjusted, but these were huge hits for the studio. And again, another reason why they, you know, call New Line the studio that Freddie built. So I think, uh, I don't know, three is just such a rewatch. It's a rewatchable. And I love just, I love the kills. I love the characters and just like kind of that. I love, I, I you know, some of the corniness in it. I, I just like it. I just, it just works for me. Yeah. Now, did the uh, did the um, uh, box office get adjusted in some way, or did it add to it? Because I noticed that the first one says that it made fifty seven million, and and part four made forty nine. But of the sequels, it definitely seems to be the you know easily the highest grossing. I was just wondering if it did did the first one have some extra chance to make more money or something? Uh, I don't know. I ask a question. I don't know. I I always thought that well, Freddy vs Jason. And then I thought it was four than three, but yeah, I guess maybe maybe it's because of inflation. Because the first one it says one million dollar budget and fifty seven dollar gross. I mean, we can always dig into this in between. I just didn't know if like because I've heard that four was the highest grossing too. But today when I looked, I was like, oh, that's interesting that one was, you know, says it made so yeah. much more than that. So mm. um, you're seeing fifty seven, you said on Wikipedia for the gross. Huh. I see twenty five. Nightmare. Yeah, on the on the Nightmare on Elm Street fandom wiki, it says twenty five for for the first one. Okay, th- I wonder if this is wrong. Right now on the Wikipedia, uh, you know, uh-huh. the popular site Wikipedia.org, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm looking at it. Uh, budget one point one million, box office fifty seven million. So maybe it is a maybe it is because of adjusting for inflation. Yeah, for inflation, I mean, it, it could be that. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I'm on Box Office Mojo, and I don't. It's this site sucks now because they changed everything, but it doesn't really let you toggle easily between inflated number, inflation adjusted numbers, and otherwise. But at any rate, you can see that if Freddy's Revenge, the second one, if it it made it came in at thirty million, so if it made more than the first one or or less, the fact that they were able to come back in three and four and make so much yeah. more like 45 yeah. and 49 million right. respectively it's pretty crazy right this is when the series these two movies represent the series exactly. like reaching its peak reaching its cultural saturation point reaching that point where freddie could pop up on like talk shows and and commercials and you know there was a 1900 line and all that kind of stuff like all this stuff is is yeah this was when freddie was the freddiest that he ever got. I do want to mention two things about this movie. One is the bar in the alley in Taryn's death scene where she has the fight. It's Jake's bar. Was that the name of the bar in the second one? The the like the leather bar? I think it might be. 
this might be another thing we have to confirm retroactively. But I think that that's a little nod to the last movies that oh, wow. it's oh, wow. Jake's bar. Because I remember that I just remember the name of the bar being kind of lame <laughs> like that. And I remember commenting on it. Um, Jake's bar. Jake's bar. And the other thing is we, we talked a little bit about Freddy's look changing in these movies. I think it's worth mentioning in this movie what his look is. They're starting to kind of I feel like three and four is kind of when they, they nailed down the look. But in this movie, there are some scenes where I really was like, what does he look like? And it dawned on me. He looks like like used chewing gum. Like his face has he this kind of like, like stretched and glopped on, almost like silly putty that's, you know, someone's just stretched out and glopped on. But it's like he doesn't look quite as slimy and disgusting or as actually burned or as actually like, like it looks more healed up or whatever. He just, it's like right. a symptom of them realizing he's the hero of these movies, I think, is that they make him a little bit more palatable to look at, just a little bit less. Like he has open sores, or like like right. his like, and I know you said he looks different in every scene, and it's true, Ronald. But it does feel like they're locking it down to something that's a little bit less viscous and wet, <laughs> and less, right, right, uh, right. yeah. So I think that's an interesting note that this is when he is a guy who could pop up in more places and not just be a gory, like his face itself doesn't look as gory as as it has in the past. So. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to mention before we go into number four was we didn't really talk. I mentioned the whole like crossover into the MTV generation, but the 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 Dream Warriors title track that Dokken put out uh, for this movie. Uh, if you've seen it, like the movie is in the video, and it, this is a video that like was big on MTV, and it's like a perfect example of you know how they were really leveraging that you know the the boom of MTV and you know crossing over with a music video from like a hair metal band and like, you know, horror movies were, were kind of really coming into it. And it just was like a perfect intersection of like how to get into there and have this movie promote it just with a video that's in rotation, you know, cause the characters are in the video and scenes from the movie. It's, it's uh you know, it's the song that plays over the end credits, but um, it's definitely a good example of how they were able to do that, which I think is a part of what kind of took this one and four to, you know, another level in the box office mm -hmm. for sure. Boy, the, the, the mid to late 80s were full of videos where they used clips from the movies that the songs yeah. were in. And it was like yeah. a big deal when those videos would come out. Because often they would be revealing footage from some huge summer movie, some blockbuster that was coming out. Um, well, since we're talking about videos and we're about to talk about four, we now have to talk about what happened in between these two movies. Freddy <laughs> is seemingly vanquished, his turning on the light inside the fake house that Kristen made, and he's next reported attacking... Uh, the Fresh Prince. <laughs> and and like, Fresh I'll Prince. tell you what he did. I'll tell you what he did to the Fresh Prince. He came to him, his Fresh Prince and his friends, they were fresh off a tour. They went to go see the Nightmare on Elm Street films. It's not clear whether they saw, I think they may have seen the first one because he's talking about Nancy and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Then he comes home that night and wouldn't you know it, when he goes to sleep, he dreams about Freddy. Now Freddy comes to him and says kind of similar, it's a setup to what he was trying to do in Freddy's Revenge. He's right. like, he's he wants to use... Will body, as the body, yeah. and he'll be the brains. And 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 luckily, uh, Fresh Prince is pretty smart. He gets out of this one. He wakes up. His alarm wakes him up, uh, but he holds his own until then. Uh, but it turns out his sheets are still sliced up from when he was in the dream. So it's kind of like, well, that may have really happened. Well, then he calls Jazzy Jeff to warn him. Right? <laughs> Guess who's over there when he calls Jazzy Jeff? Who's there? I, I'm not gonna even. I mean, if you're a Jazzy Jeff fan, you might want to hold your ears because Freddie's there. Oh, and you know what he says? What does he say? I'm your DJ now, Princey. <laughs> now, here's the scariest thing. This version of Freddy, it's almost like they couldn't get the rights to use Freddy. <laughs> so he's a guy in a leather jacket 
who has stereo equipment coming out of his head. Like he's got like a like an equalizer readout for an eye and like headphones coming out of his head. And, and oh. like on his hand, instead of blades, he's got, I think, record needles at the ends of his fingers. Oh. But they're calling him Fred. And he's, it's about, you know, they're talking. Uh, so I wonder, like, we got to, I mean, no one has ever explained to me how. <laughs> I, my only suggestion, it would be that after he was vanquished at the end of three, when they gave him the proper burial, he had yeah. like a struggle coming back into the dreamscape. And maybe when he yeah. came in, he came in. He didn't have as much control as the only thing I can imagine, and he came through with imagery that might have been on the mind of the Fresh Prince because of the stereo equipment and stuff. So, it makes um, sense. Because next time we see him, he's back to the sweater and the fedora. So, yeah, this one, this sweater fits him so much differently than it. I, I it kills me, man, how different Freddie looks from scene to scene. It, it is something that I think is is something to be marvelled at, which which is cool because. Just like the kids, every kid that tries to reproduce that house, it looks perfect. Whether it's a little kid or an adult, everybody can replicate this this house almost perfectly. And I think that that's something to be admired because that image is traveling through all these people's heads. I don't know. So, yeah, the sweater, the house, these are all the, all the iconographies back. Did you guys yes. notice the beginning of this movie, which begins, it's trying to remember, I think it's trying to remind us of three with the opening where someone's doing a chalk drawing. It's kind of mm. like Kristen yeah. doing the, the sculpture. But did you notice that's like, just by the nature of the, when you're shooting something, you like get a lot of footage of something and then you just use a little bit of it. That the person, mm. when they were doing the close-ups of the chalk, they're not actually really drawing. They're just kind of grinding the chalk into dust. <laughs> <laughs> and did you also notice at the beginning of that when they were like sweeping off the dirt to draw they did a terrible mm. job of sweeping the dirt off they like it's like there's tons of dirt left it's like you could totally tell they're doing like a a stagey version where they're like no leave some dirt we you know um but now it but because then when they pull out it's like a clean piece of sidewalk with no dirt and there's no like evidence that someone was just grinding the <laughs> yeah, chalk down i noticed um, that too but it, but anyway it, it, the idea is we're seeing like somebody drawing the elm street house with chalk and as we pull up we see that it's a little girl, one of the creepy little kids. That another thing that I think has slowly become more prominent in terms of the iconography of this series. And then Kristen's back. You wouldn't know it was Kristen right at first, but I think she says, "Come on, Kristen, get it together." To herself uh, in a minute, so we're able to see that it's her. Um, yeah. But she kind of has a repeat, a little bit of the dream sequence from the from the beginning of three, where she's in the house, she's in the Elm Street house, and she's seeing this stuff. But at any rate, at the end of this opening sequence, we kind of come to realize that Kristen senses that Freddie is back, and also that she's pulling Kincaid and Joey into her dream, maybe to such an extent that they're getting annoyed with her, <laughs> that they're actually like, what, you, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but that shot where she pulled Kincaid in, I thought that was actually kind of a neat shot where he's like sitting at his desk and he gets sucked back through i mean that yeah, was a, yeah. i don't know i didn't I expect that, that. Cool. and i had honestly forgotten that they did that um i do think something's lost with this not being patricia arquette i think tuesday night the actress that replaced her she's doing fine but them getting back together doesn't have as much weight at all with uh yeah, a without, different actress yeah. there i don't know let's talk a little bit about that opening how do you feel uh, about how they they got you situated in this new this new movie which is you know picking up with characters that survived the last one basically I love it. I like. Uh, I, I don't love the. That. I don't love the missing Patricia Arquette, obviously. But again, we were talking about three. Like, I just like the idea that um, they're going to approach us a little bit with like some spillover from movie to movie. And like, I like that when you see four for the first time, like you don't really know too much about how long these characters are going to be around. 
But I think it works really well to kind of, again, set up a handoff from a lead to a new lead and a new group that will have to fight Freddy and some will live, some will die and you'll meet them and you'll like some of them and not the others. It's just like, it's just like a, it's like a, a, it's, it's just like this cycle that they can like, you know, effectively work with from movie to movie. Now I don't, you know, it doesn't go very far into the franchise, but the idea that you can go from three to four and you do have named characters, you know, the, you know, Joey and Kincaid, I thought were like, I remember thinking that they were like so awesome, like that they like survived three and like, Oh shit. Yeah. They're in four. And like, you know, Joey looks so cool with the longer hair and like Kincaid's badass again. And it's like, let's, where, where, what's going to happen here? But I do think that even in these movies, like this is something that happens in horror movies, even to this day, like you have, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that it started here, but it definitely is something that I remember, you know, this is a reference point for me when I see movies that happen now or in the last, you know, recent, recent past where like, you know, you have spillover characters that, unfortunately you know you lose pretty early on in the movie it's just a nice handoff it's a nice like uh comfort feeling yeah. and you know it kind of just like spins you out into like whatever this movie's going to become so i think it all works I, I like the intro again you know they're kind of doing a very similar thing to, to what they did in three with some sort of like you know creation in the opening and you get like a little bit of a, re- a reveal with Kristen, but um I really enjoy that even for a little bit that we got a little more of uh, of, of 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 at least the surviving uh, dream warriors. Yeah. <laughs> so they're out of a psych ward in, in in the same high school. Yeah, I mean we're to believe that's something yes. we didn't really talk Steve. about in in three that, that they are the that's last crazy. of the Elm Street kids. That the, the, the yeah. characters we were watching in that movie they're the last of the children yeah. of the people that killed freddy right. so the revenge kind of goes to them but also maybe the connection yeah. goes to them so this movie's a little bit about freddy trying to like you know ronald you and i are always talking about with our our musical projects that we've been putting out like how to expand our reach freddy's work working on that in this episode you know he's he's, he's yeah. working on like how do i how do i get broadcast i need someone to pick me up on a blog or something you know um yeah. <laughs> but no there's this whole thing about like um them being the last ones, and there's a part where Freddie even says one down, two to go after he kills Kincaid. Yeah. Um, but that's also Freddie kind of officially coming back. We should talk a little bit about that. Freddie's not all the way back yet. He's 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 terrorizing Kristen in her dreams. The other two don't really believe. It's weird that they go back to like not believing. Like, oh, Freddie's dead, and we know it for a fact. And there's no way he could be back. You know, it's like, well, how do you know, Kincaid? Like, how, do you know the rules of Freddie? I don't remember anyone actually submitting the rules. <laughs> yeah. um, but it gives us this time to kind of have that little opening scene where we see that she's she's got new friends and old friends, and you kind of get the idea right. that the new friends and the old friends might not mix that well. Oh, definitely not. Definitely um, not. In fact, Kincaid, I have to say, Kincaid and and uh, Joey seem a little aggro towards Kristen, in yes. particular. Like, I, I, I'm I'm imagining that she must be really pulling him into her dreams a lot because they're just like fuck, you know. They don't yeah. want, they don't have any real time for her. But her new friends, I love. We meet them in a quick succession, and we meet like oh, Asthma Girl and Roach Girl and, um, and kar- Karate and Kid, Karate Dork, yeah, karate, I mean, that yeah. guy who plays Rick, her boyfriend, uh, uh, I-, I could not tell for half the movie whether he was deliberately playing an obnoxious dork version of kind of a cool guy or if he was supposed to just be a cool guy, and I still don't know for sure, but I came down on the side that that actor, as far as he knew, was playing a cool guy. I think it's just that he <laughs> had that kind of dorky intensity. It felt like he was going for like a John Hughes 
kind of quality a little bit and maybe even you know like before jim carrey was jim carrey he had a couple of moments that felt like he was trying right. to do like that kind of uh that kind of intensity um but he really like there's a scene where he runs off down the hall and he's just like you know there's just there's an intensity to that guy's physicality right down to the fact that he's like a karate guy and there's a long scene of him practicing his moves God, I love that scene. Um, which is yeah. which is so funny because they love added it. later the idea that his death would have to do with karate. Like they were shooting and they ran out of yeah. budget, and they came up with this idea that he would have an invisible karate fight. So it's like the karate thing. Rennie Harlan, the director, said, "Why don't we just use karate as as his final moment? Because we already have that scene where he's practicing karate." And they were like, "Yeah, let's do that." And it's like, "So wait, wait, wait." You were going to do that scene, and it had nothing to do with anything later? But my impression of this movie, and we should talk about this. It's Rennie a montage. Har- but like yeah. Rennie Harlan, uh, there's a lot of making it up as they went along on this movie. Like the script was essentially unfinished when they started shooting, and there's a lot of talk about him in particular just improvising things on the day, coming up with the dreams kind of on the day. He seems like a madman in a lot of ways. Oh, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't what are you gonna say, Ronald? Well, yeah. <laughs> Something's coming. I don't want to. I don't want to talk over you. What were yeah. you gonna say? No, oh. no. It just, um, yeah. That movie was nuts, man. Like, I don't know if I felt the same way that I felt about the the third, and and some of it had to do with like just. I don't know, man. I it just didn't feel quite as good. I, I don't know. Like, I, it's not as contained. I, I, like, like the backdrop yeah. is not as controlled or as contained. Yeah, as the it, third it one. didn't feel quite as neat of a story. It didn't feel like as as well written of a story. And then some of the, I didn't feel like for, when Freddie came. It didn't. I was like, all right. I mean, like, I don't know, man. Like, but he was great. He was great when he came. I just, I think the connectivity between the last movie. I think I think I think it's what we kind of said before. Kristen's recasting left a hole in it to me, like a yeah. real big one. Yeah. Um, and maybe maybe just saying that she wasn't there would have helped or something. Man, like I I I just could not get past looking at this woman and being like, "You're supposed to be Patricia Arquette." Yeah, and sometimes I forget. And I understand that they were trying to create the new Kristen through this through the new character that that yeah. was Alice, the, the which master. Was, yeah, which which what did what did you guys think of that? That we we just meet this character who's like I used to hear. Yeah. She's so like, well, I've never heard of Freddy, but I I used to hear stories about a dream master, and there used to be a rhyme. <laughs> I, I feel like that was so like weirdly vague and ill defined that it's like it, it was. It, it's like it made sense as the movie kind of made its own rules about that as it went along, yeah. but it never really registered with me like. Like I felt like, is this mythology spinning out too much when you can just have another character be like, oh, have you not heard of the Dream Master? Right down to even having a scene where there's a lecturer at school, which is Bob Shea, the, Bob the, Shea, the, yeah. the New Line uh, guy. Um, so like, it's sort of a cameo by a studio chief, you know, sense. But like, yeah, that just is such a weird scene where he's lecturing. A, it's just the strangest high school lecture of all time. <laughs> this lecture about cultures and how they control dreams and how there's a positive dream gate and the negative dream gate and the dream master is the one who guards the positive gate and that a skilled dreamer can control their dreams all of this is just like 
what a strange like you really don't need that at all like you don't need yeah. the, what's being talked about in the class to be relevant to the story at all and it just feels like this strange thing just like wait so you mean they didn't just go to like to a library and get the information they needed it's like every kid in this school maybe this is because it's a it's a springfield you know or is it springville or springfield at Springville is the Simpsons. Springfield is is Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I guess if it's that school, they might have a class that's like how not to die in your dreams. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes. Everybody around that here was... knows about Dream Masters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they definitely just kind of poured it on, and I think that's what it was. Like, it felt like a lot of over explaining. Um, one one of the scenes where the the cool brother was kind of explaining to the jock yeah. the whole backstory. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? It, it, it felt too, like, on the nose, and I kind of wish they would have spread the information around a little differently. I that's think also that's the scene where was. Kristen's mom stops by just to say on delay a couple more times and remind like her. Like she did in the... Yeah, like she did the uh, last time we saw her. Like she did the last but time. But it's weird but that she, she's the same actress. In a, it, somehow it's strange yes. that she's the same actress and the daughter is not. I mean, although I wouldn't have necessarily wanted Pat, Patricia Arquette to come back to die the way that Kristen dies necessarily. I don't know. It would have been weird to do you. that. But I do think it's almost bold uh, to do what they did with Kristen. Like, she very much it seems like she's being set up to be the final girl because she doesn't die, like, in the first scene. So often the the final person from the last movie comes back and they die very early in the movie. Right. But she lingers an, a long enough time and she's very stressed and it's very kind of tragic to see her see her friends die and feel like it's closing in on her. Um, so it's it's like a bleak storyline for her. And I, I do think it's a bold move to have killed not just the other two, but to have killed Kristen by the time you're, like, you're not even halfway into the movie. And no we've, way, yeah. we've effectively passed the baton to Alice as the as the you know potential dream master of this because um you know uh, Kristen got thrown in a furnace and came up with pudding on her face and then jumped into Freddy's torso that's also ill defined you know what's going on there but the idea of him trapping the souls we kind of saw it happen and then she passes on her power but not her soul that part was vague to me it almost seemed like Alice was absorbing her friends souls as they died which is really kind of weird but it wasn't their souls it was just their power. powers yeah. and Freddy even says that later that he's got yeah. their souls you've got their powers but I've still got their souls so it does create again it sticks with that kind of maybe religious idea that we're freeing souls from torment but it also gives us a handy little thing that can you know like that's a nice goal it's a different goal than we've seen before you're not just trying to stop freddy you're trying to free all the souls uh all the naked souls that are th writhing around inside them and pushing their boobs up against the, <laughs> the plastic would you expect anything less from rennie harlan <laughs> no i would not yeah. you yeah, know what exactly I, did you do you know who that is that was inside there no nah. like not anywhere else in the movie, but Scream Queen Linnea Quigley, oh, the actress who's oh, in so many movies that. taking her top off. They brought her that's in right. just to ride around inside Freddy. <laughs> wow. That's, really? that's, that's wild. That is wild. You know, I feel like, honestly, like I, maybe I just like forgive way too much of this, this stuff, but like I don't even think about any of these like plot holes or like these new oh. rules being added that we have gone over so much. Like, all this weird shit that just drops into these movies. You just I'm like, just bring like it on. 100% like, bring it on. <laughs> You're like, on the roller coaster ride. Just like whatever <laughs> you want to say is, is supposed to be happening right now. Make it look cool. Make it fun. You know, give me some sort of interesting character. Maybe um, it's silly. You know, this one is very silly. And it's definitely like what you said, John, about like, you know, 
you know, kind of being written, developed, shot on the fly, things changing. Like it's, I think that really is, you can kind of feel it that it really wasn't. And, and especially when you're saying it comes out like a year later, like these things are being pumped out quick and you know, it, you definitely, it, it, it shows a little bit, but that said, I think in general, you know, you, you mentioned the characters that you kind of meet quickly, like her, her group of friends and, you know, Rick and Alice and, you know, Deb, Deb, and Deb, who loves the, to work out and hates roaches. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to know that, more that's about like, it. That's like, yeah. that's two things. <laughs> I was like, that's it. She got <laughs> that's two, two things. Well, she no, uh, uh, then, um, what's her name? Sheila, uh, she makes inventions and, uh, but has, but has, has asthma. asthma. But the fact that so, she makes so an that, invention that, that was designed to scare off roaches, but that if you like plug electricity into it, it can become like a weapon from Ghostbusters. Right. That's right. pretty. That's pretty cool. Sheila's like the unsung hero of this movie in some ways. <clears throat> right. So you have like their their weakness and their strength, and one gets one, one gets the other. I guess. But yeah. um, I don't know. I just I just think it's a really fun movie. I I I, I really do. Um, I kind of really like the Rick character. Uh, I, I do know what you're saying. Like, he, you don't know if he's supposed to be like a dweeb or a cool like, guy. like, like which guy from Pretty and Pinky is he supposed to be? Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> no, exactly. Like, is he Ducky yeah. or is he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, yeah. That's a good yeah. He definitely I, yeah. saw and enjoyed those performances. He was like, you know what I love about that movie? I'm gonna I, lo- I don't know if I don't know who I love better, James Spader, or Andrew McCarthy, yeah. or John Cryer. J- I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Harry Dean Stanton, throw him in. I'll do a little Just bit get of them him all together. <laughs> No, but you're right. Uh, he is like a grounded guy, and like there are moments where he's like trying to be a good guy, and he doesn't yeah, quite know. But that moment where he's like, "I just don't want to talk about fucking Freddy anymore." There's a part of me that's yeah. like, "That's kind of a." I, I kind of felt that character moment at that point. It's like, yes, I've seen people die. Yes, weird shit is going on. But can we just not like? I'm I'm not there yet. It reminds me yeah. of Glenn in the first movie, uh, the Johnny Depp yes. character, where it's like he yeah. believed something was going on, but he was not quite there yet. Um, no, I, I think you're right. He was likable. What did you think of his death? His death scene is really kind of a lame ass scene. It is super lame. It it is super lame. But <clears throat> like anything, like that 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 just him doing the the all the karate to drama rama is just like I I love that. No. I eat that scene up <laughs> yeah. every time. Like yeah. I love that song. And you that mean song. 1988? The scene like that's 19- yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, I just. Yeah, it's a it's a cool scene. I mean, I, it is kind of it's kind of silly. It's super silly, but when you when you say that out loud, it sounds stupid as hell. But like you're like, if you got to get creative, like how 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 else would you have done that in that scene if you had right. that footage? You know, it's like it's it's silly enough, but it's also like different. Where I like, might have had him cleaning his room at the same time while he was doing that and dancing around and putting on sunglasses. Oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe that would have worked. <laughs> Using his butt um, to close a drawer, like in part two. It's just like, you know, you because you don't have Freddy, but you do have the glove, you know, like, you know, they at least get something in there and it's got its own little, like, you can kind of track it. I don't know. It's it's Freddy. Freddy is definitely the scene that he's in, like, it's just, it's dialed up, you know, like, you know, Freddy yeah. putting on sunglasses you know, and like, you know, it, it's just like you really are kicking it in here. Like it's it's it gets a little silly, but it's fucking I just think yeah. it's so fun. It's so fun. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, you, you just get into all these scenes that we keep talking about, like not to just yeah. labor over it again, but just when you get into the, you know, the, the kills for the friends, you know, as they get picked off one by one. And, you know, interestingly, who survives and who doesn't. 
um some of the stuff like the suck face like with sheila is fucking fucked up yeah like no. yeah it no, is that's gruesome brutal. Th- that is a is disturbing so death that is a really yeah. disturbing yeah. death because it's like it's got that element of sexual assault thrown in yeah it is horrible and she the actress loves it like if you see her in the documentary the actress that yeah, plays totally. sheila she, she's like i love my death scene that was my first on-screen kiss like she loves t- saying that yeah, yeah, um, yeah but she also if you saw the documentaries you also know that lenny Rennie harlan came up to her and told her we were going to have to dub all your lines because you don't sound like a black girl and then oh, she like right. pushed oh, back right. and he now says like i don't remember that and she said hey i'd claim i don't remember it too <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts but supposedly he apologized to her after the fact and said like he didn't understand enough about american culture to understand that like what she was doing was going to work that in his mind it was kind of i mean it was similar to like we talked a little bit about kincaid's acting style but he's definitely doing the sort of like slightly more stereotypical like you know wisecracking he's got the lines uh sort of thing yeah, yeah. and i do remember thinking sheila was a very atypical role for uh or character to for a black girl in that in that time i mean i was just noticing that and I, so maybe that's something the actress actually kind of created and and fought for um a little bit she's very much written as the character that she is so it's kind of strange that he wanted her to be some kind of a caricature otherwise. yeah um yeah on top you know if she was a different kind of caricature a nerd caricature but um at any rate, uh, what do you the, guys, the Rennie what Harlan do you guys, aspect of it, I just want to say one thing. Yeah, one thing he yeah. said about this movie repeatedly is that his his standard was like, oh, teenage boys are going to love this. Oh, the teenage boys are going to love this. So like, that's what he was, that's what this movie is. It's Rennie Harlan's idea yeah. of what like a 15-year-old American boy wanted to see. And, you know, that's why there's boobs Makes and, sense. you know, cuss words yeah. and fun. What do you guys, what do you guys think of Alice? Where does she stack? How does she stack up? Uh, what do you think of the character? Like the change that her character goes through, like as she starts to kind of, you know, you know, I kind of like, powers. I kind of like Alice's arc. I don't know how much I feel about like the. Char- I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I did find myself thinking about how she is at the beginning of the movie and how she is yeah. at the end, yeah. and that they actually arrived there pretty smoothly. Like it was not like she. I don't remember her feeling like she got a makeover. There is that right preparation scene where she takes a an, like a totem of each one of her friends and kind of attaches it to herself uh and some of that's kind of corny but like the idea of she's emerging from this different i do i i felt like i kind of bought that aspect that she became a more confident person um as the movie went along and i don't remember it being like oh then she one day she woke up and started doing her hair differently or something so so i guess i'd say i like that aspect of it her as a character it's not like a hugely dynamic character but that's kind of the idea is that you're almost supposed to think she's not that interesting at the i i really do think they were right. trying to trick us a little bit with who's going to emerge who's going to be the leader yeah, yeah. yeah. but you know um i i think that she was meant to be the the spiritual replacement for patricia arquette's character she does have a lot of cool aspects of her character i mean you know <laughs> We, her dad indicated that she dresses terribly at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and then which, which was really weird, right? Because normally like, when what? someone says you're going out what wearing that, it's because it's like skimpy. Yeah. But yeah. she's like totally no, this like, opposite thing. He's just he's just like, you're you know, a laugh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that kind of reaction to it, and you know, as she gets she turns into a cool. I, I can tell you if I saw this as like a you know, an eight or nine year old and I saw her getting gradually cooler, this would set my world on fire. Cause she was obviously a very pretty woman 
and you know she just gets a little more comfortable confident, and confident yeah. and when you see that when you see her doing uh, you know getting more confident and there it's weird that as misogynistic as these movies are they really do empower the 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 woman lead in it and really do make them kind of like you know destiny is in my hands i'm gonna beat the shit because the guys are kind of flailing a lot of the times in these movies yeah. and the women kind of take command and they're amazing and i think that's one thing that i hadn't seen uh besides these movies honestly a lot of the times was like they had a plan they had magic <laughs> they could bring this one she could bring dogs in and and kincaid just kind jason yeah <laughs> yes, I thought that was really interesting. And he's like, that doesn't mean dick when the, when the dog bit. Why wouldn't it mean dick that a that a dog bit a person and, and they're bleeding out of the dog is like I know, covered in blood. This like, <laughs> <laughs> is covered in blood. Like he's he's like, this doesn't mean dick. Fresh he from the bites. kill or whatever. That's yeah. That's what you get for bringing my dog into the dream. He will bite the shit out of you, which I thought was so That's funny. That's so good. Okay, but, we're talking about the dog. Yeah. We have to talk about, and this is Rennie Harlan's brilliance. <laughs> this is, honestly, this is something I think came from him because he loves dogs, and he was coming up with a way to bring Freddy back, and mm. this, he, he actually came up with the dog can pee fire onto Freddy's grave, and that will bring him back because he loves dogs. And there was a person in the documentary that so saying good. that he had a whole thing about one animal connecting to another animal through through this fluid, you know, that it was like supposed to be this thing. <laughs> but that, um, <laughs> like, but that supposedly James Cameron like bumped into Rennie Harlan after he got hired for this job, and he was like, kind of derisive you know congratulations how are you going to bring freddie back this time how are they going to bring him back this time and for Brittany harlan was like a dog <laughs> pees fire on him um but no there's this um you know there is something about that that the dog lives too i think is is a good thing um uh uh yeah that is weird that kincaid i just feel like kincaid has forgotten what he learned in the last movie he just kind of seems like he he's did. not on guard and even joey's ready to just kind of go along with it you know when when they buried Freddy in the third one, he he put his bones in it, and then he like dance. They like dance. He was like, yes, 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 over Freddy. Like you don't you don't celebrate Kincaid <laughs> after you fucking hurt Freddy. You don't celebrate. You get out of there, and he just got yeah, too shit. arrogant. That's your chance to get out. Right. That's your chance to get out. And, and he takes this opportunity. He's like, yes, yes, I can't believe it. Fuck this guy. Oh, yeah. Well, well, Kincaid's death. Damn, Kincaid. Joey's death in the waterbed. The scene in the hallway where they're talking and they walk past some lockers and there's just like yeah. slashes in the That's lockers. Cool. Yeah. But I, also, I, I, but cool I have a question shit. I'm building, too, because I don't understand mm. that moment. I don't understand what's happening in the classroom when <laughs> Sheila dies. What's happening in the real world during much of this movie? Like, how if Freddy's not fully back yet, how is there a slash in the locker i, I just yeah. like i i was what very it's like i felt like this movie was very loose with like okay freddie now has this power in the world like joey in the real world 
how did he get inside the water bed? I mean, I guess we're just accepting that the dream, the outcome of the dreams is getting more elaborate, and it's not like it yeah. was in the first couple, even in the third one, where something happens in the dream, and then something else is happening in the real world, and we can see what that is. You know, this is right, more right, like right. somehow he magically got inside the water bed. Somehow Freddy's slashing lockers, and no one's saying anything about it, and it's just there. <laughs> or was that meant to be like, this is a, a, a philosophical, you know, this is like a an image of what's happening, but yeah. it's not actually a literal image of what's going on in the school. Right. or something. Right. But I didn't know how you guys felt about that, the relationship between the real world and the dream world in this movie. And did you... did it, uh, Steve, I, I have a feeling what you're saying is it doesn't really matter to you that much. It doesn't but, matter. But uh, question, my question is not so much does it matter to you, but like, did you sense this movie having a little bit more of a of a different attitude about that part Definitely. of like... Yeah. Showing you, like, yeah. this is because Al, did Alice and Sheila both fall asleep during the test? And what did people in the room think was happening? And I don't know, you know, that, I, this, I kept thinking about that. It didn't yeah, really bump I, me, but I kept thinking about it. Yeah, I think yeah. that the, the disconnect between like there's like a, there's a one to one reaction of what's happening in the real world, yeah, like to what's happening while they're sleeping, like that is lost entirely, like that's gone, yeah, you know. It, they play a lot with time and and thing perception of time and the man. I, I told you how I feel about looping. Oh, that loop, that loop yeah. when it kept like okay. So between you know they were trying to. I I did really love that they tried to establish very early that this character experiences some level of like being out of her normal realm of consciousness sometimes and kind of you know in her imagination yeah which could also be a dream in certain cer certain circumstances so you didn't know if it was real a dream or her just her imagination kind of working. it's almost like a daydream like yes. it's, it's like, yeah yeah like it's daydream and then once the loop started happening i'm like yeah. i'm done with this movie i'm i'm petrified <laughs> you know how i feel about groundhog's day is like my worst fear like so the fact that we watched a, a Groundhog's Day movie that was actually really good, the, um, very recently, is good for me because I hate I hate when things loop, man. You're talking yeah. about Palm Springs, I hate it. Yeah, Palm Springs, I Palm Springs, it, yeah. and you know, it was another one Happy recently. Death. The first yeah. Happy Death Day. Yeah, the first Happy. No, death it was day also was Boss really Level. Oh, Boss Level. That was the other one. We were boss, talking about. Yeah, Boss Level. No, but <laughs> but but the loop <laughs> aspect that did that is yes. a good way. That they don't do in these movies that I mean, it's like it was a new way to make us feel the dream logic kicking in in a way that made your stomach kind of drop a little bit. And you're like, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, what are they doing now? What can they do now? Like, are they just yes. like, they don't even know what's going on. They're both asleep. Uh, one of them's asleep. You don't really know. I think that, yeah. I just think that was, <clears throat> that was an effective um, way to say, okay, what's a way of suggesting a dream that we haven't quite done? That is not, you know, again, it's great because it doesn't require effects. It doesn't require anything. It's just... Seeing the same thing happen again and again totally. in this world, and you realize, okay, Freddie is controlling this. Freddie's influencing yeah. this. I love that she went into the dream, and when she got sucked into the movie, she lost uh, one of her loafers. And that when you see her yes, loafers falling one. off, um, she's got this like the the <laughs> like those white socks that are like turned down. Like yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. maybe in 1988, any average woman would wear those, and not only like a little kid, but it made her seem so childish, you know. And I love in yeah. that scene where she wakes up and she's got to go somewhere, and she realizes she's lost a loaf. And she's like, I got, I got to kick off this one loafer and get another pair of shoes. She leans off the yes. bed. She picks up the other like 
like plainest, dorkiest, little, those little white sneakers that, I mean, again, it just is, they're very dated. You could see, it's just, it was very funny to me. Like what a sort of, yeah. what a sort of dork uh, Alice is, you know, um, yeah. like really until that scene where she gives herself the makeover. But, um, but no, I, I, I thought that that, uh, that, that scene, you sort of think, oh, now she's out because she detected that she lost the loafer in the other dream. And so I was fooled by that loop the first time. Like, I thought, oh, yeah. I had forgotten some of the ins and outs of the story. So I was like, oh, they're going. Oh, wait, no. And then I couldn't remember how they all kind of end up in the same place. But I do think that final, whatever we want to call that, that moment where all the souls inside Freddy bust out of him and start, you know, yeah. that's a really great death yeah, quote unquote for freddie it's and it's yeah. rough to the point where you're like not so much like i feel bad for freddie but you're feeling you're like that that fucking sucks dude yeah. <laughs> it's like that it does the soul's ripping that's r- tough re- to look at yeah like ripping yeah. his head apart anytime someone's head is ruined in that way it's always unsettling it. to see like the jaw and the it. head separate and the person still alive. when when uh king kong does that that's yeah. like his go-to movie. He's yeah. like, I'm gonna rip your face open. Yeah. From, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I hate that, man. I'm just stop like, me I don't want to see. I got it. my hands stop, in there. Right. Stop, yeah. stop, 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 stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop, stop. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I hate don't, it. Don't grab. Don't grab his jaw. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. grab the jaw. Once, once he goes like that. Yeah. Once he gets his hands down, it's over. It's done. It's like, oh. <laughs> uh, no. So, yeah. It was. It was practical. I, I really hope that. When the if there's another Freddy, which there will be at some point in our lives, that they really do try to put some practical stuff in there. There really is something, especially the way that Freddy attacks people. You know, we see we've talked about the thing and in the practical effects in that. There's something about seeing things interact with 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 some of the characters that really makes whatever it is that Freddy is, whatever entity he is seems so much scarier than a couple of special effects kind of firing off in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's so cool and it feels like this is the blueprint. What what I'm real, what I've realized more and more and more if I've, as I've watched this is the film that so many films are based off of the dynamic between some of the characters, the scary character, the main character that is kind of the force. You know, people have tried to invent Freddy a million different times through you know smaller films bigger films nothing really replicates uh, you know we we all know the rules we all know the setting and besides jason uh, he's really the only character that i, I mean i guess the, the um leatherface maybe there's really only a couple characters that we are really we know the rules we know the setting and anytime we're around that sort of thing, like, oh man, you're gonna go to sleep early? Well, Freddy's gonna get you. Right. I had kids say, I've heard a kid say that very recently. Like, this guy's decades old, and a little kid is like, Freddy will haunt your dreams See, if you go to sleep. That's, that's trouble to me because I thought our generation could keep that secret and it would just die out. But you're saying the children are already talking about it. So we children might have to do something. About, we might have to get involved. Um, mm. So, does anyone have like a favorite death, a favorite kill scene from from we kind of talked about from the other one? Philip's scene was the one that kind of stuck with us the most. I, I think there's a couple of these that that you know have the potential to reach iconic status. I, I, I guess I'll go. I'll just say it. I think the Roach Motel sure. death is gruesome in oh, an, enough so that good. like the whole body horror aspect of the 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 Roach parts busting out through her skin, and then like 
falling in the sticky stuff and her face getting stuck and yeah. pulling her face up and eventually her skin just sloughs off of the roach that's inside her body. I have to say that, that yeah. you know, the protracted nature of that. I think in both cases it's very funny. At the beginning when she stomps on the roach and grinds it into the pavement, it becomes like this weird paste with no roach parts in it. And then when <laughs> yeah. Freddy squishes the the roach uh, motel that she's inside after turning same into thing, a roach. Yeah. But it's not even the same. It's like apple juice squirts out this time. It's, it's the, But it's like... Um, yeah, just the the protracted nature of that death—that she both gets her yeah. arms broken and then turns into a roach, and then gets stuck and then gets squished. Yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a really elaborate death, and it's one of those like kind of mean ones too, where that character really didn't do, you know, anything in particular that you know marked her. Like she didn't mock Freddie the way that Kincaid did or anything. I guess she did say like I don't believe in you or whatever when he's standing over yeah. her. But that's kind of an odd thing to say to someone who's literally standing over you at that moment. <laughs> it's almost like she's seen too many movies where saying I don't believe in you makes the demon go, "No!" <laughs> she expected that to work. Uh, my my favorite's probably Sheila's death, mostly because uh, I, I sad that that she left because I had like a real life crush on Sheila. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's so pretty really funny uh she pretty much burns the 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 exercise lady every scene that they're in she's like Uh, my my favorite line of hers was when she's teasing alice about liking dan what does she say she's like um she's like um oh my god what what is it it's like uh hey handsome uh care for some buns (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was so funny. Yes, in the rest in the uh, diner. Yeah, yeah, that was care yeah, for some was, buns. Care for some I'm buns. She made fun of her, and then she's like, "All right, bye bye, see you later." <laughs> right. No, I was gonna say the actress doesn't want us to think she's mean. Maybe that maybe the right. director was saying that, but it's funny that she's like tacky and kind of sarcastic with Deb after that. It's like you know, Deb, yeah. there is life after exercise, you know. Yeah. And then she's like mind over matter, and she kind of looks down at Deb's body when she says that, and then she's like, "Yeah, all right, <laughs> see you later." <laughs> but you know, I love you, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so, so that's probably my favorite. So Sheila and Deb. Yeah. What about you, Steve? Is, is yeah. there a death that stands just to, out? Just to mix it up, I'm, I'm going to go with Joey's. Okay. Uh, okay. Mainly, yeah. be, mainly because it's a throwback to Glenn from you know Johnny Depp in Part One, and also just because I I really like Joey as a character between three and four. Like, yeah. And I mean, I mentioned it about three, and he, and even even more so here. Like that whole scene is just built around like MTV and just the, like you're saying like what a 15 year old boy wants to watch or whatever he was saying. Uh, but you know, just the, again, just throwing back to the, it's very simple compared to the others, but it's just playing on, you know, the same thing that almost got Joey in number three, you know, the, 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 the sexy nurse, you, yeah. know, you know, the nudity, it's like, you see him fall into the same trap, but this time he's not getting out of it. And it's, I think it's yeah. just even more tragic and scary and sad that like, you know, he never leaves his bed. Like, you know, just like Glenn didn't, and this is like one of the safest places maybe he would thought he could be now that he's like out and living a life. Um, and I just think it looked, it's just a really cool scene too, the way it's shot, I think. Uh, Cause when it gets yeah. towards the end of the scene, when they're actually like, when you see them like kind of battling in the water, there's an overhead shot of like, where Freddie actually has him and you see the claw come up and it's the overhead shot of the claw, like straightening out mm-hmm. and he comes over and you see the water just turn red. It's just a cool shot. And yeah. it's not like, 
It's not as expl- it's not as like it's that ex- blood ex- mixing with water thing, Steve. I was talking go. about there when you, you see that much oh. blood in the water, you're just like, oh yeah. boy, it that's just, it not just, good. Yeah. I just remember like seeing him. that shot and yeah. going down and the blood. And you're like, oh my god, damn it, Joey's they got him. Like, cause I like that character a lot, and yeah. it wasn't as like as big as the Glenn one. Uh, but there's also it just ends really cool too. Like the head the headphone jack pulls out of the thing. The equalizer goes down, yeah. you know, and it's a wide shot of the room and it's just like lit up and it looks so 80s and it's just like this glowing red waterbed and mm-hmm. just like, damn, Joey's done. Well, his mom He's... then comes in to discover him, like yeah. a scene later. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I'm actually sururprised with Joey's like whole thing about like it's he's all about the boobs or whatever. Yeah. I was surprised they resisted, especially with it being Rennie Harlan. Uh, I'm surprised they resisted the mom saying something like, I'm tired of picking up your sticky fucking socks or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but it really was, you're right. It was like what got him. It's like, it's funny that like his weakness is, oh, he's a heterosexual teenager boy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you know? yeah. basically. And really, Kincaid didn't really have a weakness. So, you know, he didn't have like a thing that put him in the crosshairs. His death it was, his, his death it was, was his, like, you think his overconfidence or something yeah, like that? Yeah, like man, his, his ego or... Yeah. But that's not he, like he, what was used against him. Freddie would have killed him somehow. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. You don't think that extra couple seconds that he that he celebrated, he could have gone through the that's junkyard? True. No, that's, that's true. true. He could have. true. His, he just, his he ability. let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, go ahead. Ah, do two do seconds. your thing. This is going to be over thing. real quick. He's like, yeah, touchdown pass. But the dog anyway. lives. That's all that really matters. Matter, yeah, Jason. <laughs> and, and at the Jason end of the movie, lives. I only have one question. What the hell happened to Dr. Neil Gordon? I don't know, man. That's a really good question. I mean, I'm surprised it's, they didn't throw in a sentence where one of the kids said, you heard about Dr. Neil Gordon dying in a wreck or what? I'm just surprised they didn't just figure out something to do. Mm-hmm. Technically, he's still out there. You know, I wonder if Craig Wasson just asked for too much money. Craig Wasson. I don't know how to say it. You know, he's also in Body gonna... Double, which is another 80s movie that I, yeah. from around the same time that I was just happened to be watching this week because a podcast that I listened to, they're talking about it this week. And it's like, mm. um, it was just weird to be like all up in Craig Wasson's grill for, for like this week. It's like, why did this become Craig Wasson week for me? And in both cases, it's like, he's not bad. He's really not bad at all. He's just super bland. He's just like yeah. the, the most milquetoast sort of guy. But, you know. Yeah. You know I don't know. Maybe actors like that have a place because you're able to just kind of like he doesn't. He does. It's oh, it's great to have a leading man who doesn't call too much attention to himself in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why they didn't come back to him. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe he was in the movie. And I just didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So yeah, I mean, again, we we kind of were going over this box office stuff though. You know, wherever it lands after we confirm where the the nightmare yeah. one ends up, whether it's with or without inflation, regardless for the time when this came out, this uh, again from movie over movie, you know, you're seeing uh, progress in terms of the box office and the budget's really going up minimally. You know, uh, between three and four, and uh, you know, the box office is it's a little more than uh, three, but at that time, it was. Uh, you know, it was the highest grossing one in the series. So obviously the series plows on. But I think, again, I think there was like a perfect storm. I think there's the idea. And I can remember, like we talked about it in the last episode, like just how Freddie was everywhere, you know, in the in the late 80s. And, you know, it really is kind of when he was in the mainstream. 
And, you know, I would probably guess there was around three or four when I went and had that picture taken that we talked about on the last episode on the boardwalk at Ocean City. And I'm yes. sure I'm sure at some point on that trip, I had my Dream Warriors shirt on. Obviously, I took it off, but I mean, you whipped it off um, for the shot because you got to. You, you got to. You got you to. Got to. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just it just I, my memory of Nightmare on Elm Street. Obviously, I remember going to see all these movies for the most part, you know, as they went on, especially from this point forward in the theaters when they came out and but this period you know i was only like maybe eight years old and watching these movies or whatever and i just have a very distinct memory of like freddy was fucking everywhere like just the character <laughs> of freddy krueger between this movie and even you know going into like you know five and six there was just so much freddy merchandise and yeah. you know talk show appearances in character and like it was just wild, like how much he had penetrated the mainstream media and pop culture in general, and again, MTV. And it's just, it's just wild to see how those things all mixed together, and you know, these movies really hit at the right time. And I think this one really, you know, for whatever faults you know it has, it still was pretty positively received. Like not like three or not like one, but you know, the box office success, not being completely panned, getting onto MTV. And I, I think that Rennie Harlan, like, really kind of, this was like a launch pad for him. Like, you know, this is what kind of throws him into, you know, Die Hard 2 a year or two later. And, you know, and his and his filmography that goes on from, like, you know, into the early 90s. And he kind of has that reputation of this is the kind of movie that he makes. But um, I don't know. The, these two, I love. I loved watching these two again for this podcast. Yeah. And it was like, uh, I, I just have those moments where I want to just go watch all of them. But just sectioning it out and watching these two back to back the other night, it was just like, oh, man, I, I, I like I hope that I want to see more Freddie. Like you said, Ronald, I hope they can do something more with the franchise, something better than they've done in recent you know years. But I hope they maybe can find some way to do something like this. Maybe not as like maybe maybe not as silly in some ways as four was, but. I just want to see a bunch of characters that I like care about, like working together and in a, in a creative, you know, way. I don't know. It's just, and I think that they really kind of found that and were able to exploit that a bit in these two for sure. Well, seeing the characters work together really is one of the high points of this movie so much so. And I think this is something that we might've touched on, but I do think it's worth mentioning is that when you die, if you're killed by Freddie, you are buried in the special uh, Freddie's victims section of the cemetery where you have Nancy's grave marker, <laughs> yes. Kate's grave marker, and Kristen's grave marker all right next to each other. Um, I just think Which that's really nuts. beautiful. Yeah, no, it's really beautiful. It's like they're it, together even in death. They rot in the ground together. Even It's even. like a special area in in in, uh, yeah. in the Springwood Cemetery yeah, or like, Springfield. <laughs> probably Springwood. the whole fucking... Sp yeah, spring, Springwood. Yeah. Springwood. Did I say Springfield Spring earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah Springwood. Yeah. Springwood. Um, so anybody that was screaming at their, at their podcast uh, uh, earbuds... Their podcast earbuds at their earbuds. Uh, when they I have said special that. earbuds, yeah. they wear <laughs> they only take for out, podcasts. They're listening to music. They take them out. They <laughs> nope, put in these the, are on my podcast. podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that was hilarious. It's like that's just yeah. a little bit of movie nonsense. It's like that shot was designed to make you think of the characters that have died, not yeah, to make it. you really yeah. think about why would they all be. But if it is true <laughs> that the entire Springwood Cemetery is probably Freddy's victims, now that I think about it, so maybe you know, maybe yeah. they're running out of space in there. Um, no, I think that we should enjoy this moment because this episode we we kind of ran yeah. long because these movies give us a lot to talk about. These are That's like true. peak Freddy. This is like peak for the series. That's true. You know, the next like the first 
episode we did, we had one like classic and one that was was pretty okay. This time we had an, another classic and another like pretty yeah. pretty solid, maybe a near classic for the genre. Oh it, no! It doesn't it doesn't get better from here. <laughs> it never gets this good again. It does not for the series. You're we have, we have right. five more movies in this watch them all, and none of them are as good as what we just watched. With a uh, Freddy versus Jason has some debatable yeah, yeah, aspects Jason to it. Up there yeah, me, super yeah. fun, and I think New Nightmare is no. I think New Nightmare is really interesting. I watched yes. it recently. I don't think it ever got. It it's still not. not as good as the hype, but right. it's like You're it's right. definitely better than the like the next episode is the one that really is the the like the bleak times. So it's kind of cool that those two are together in one episode as well. It's true. The True. Dream Child yeah. and Freddy's Dead um, is what's next. Uh, probably in I don't know in the next couple of months we'll, we'll we'll find the time to do that. But no, I'm glad yeah. you guys hung in there with me um, because you know it's been kind of a long day and I'm, I'm I've been kind of fighting sleep uh, all day. And as soon as this is over, oh, I'm just going to lay down and just get some rest. Some God, I need to get you. Rest. I need to get you some no dos. How about um, some no dos? <laughs> no, what did they call it? Uh, God, there was. I a think, I think so. Now, hypnosil is, hypnosil no. is the the dream suppressant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there yeah, was yeah. another like over the counter looking uh, don't sleep pill that they were drinking. Oh, that they were drinking. Oh yes, they were eating yes. In there the was first... like a package. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called now though. Um, <clears throat> like sleep no more or something like that. <laughs> uh, sleeping all, dreaming all, waking all, wake up, waking up, wake them up, wake them up, watch them all. I don't know what it was called, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just seeing I'm seeing hypnosil. Every, I mean, I'm saying I think you're right. There was something else, but hypnosil is what I'm seeing. Well, everywhere. see, here's something I noticed too, and I, it doesn't make sense because four had a budget that was at least as big as three's, I believe. But yeah. um, uh, in the in three, there's product pr- placement galore. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was noticing in four there were a couple like fake soda cans, but then also I think there is somebody. Uh, I think there are some, you know, name brand products that started creeping in where I was like, okay, so it's not like they ran out of money and they could they couldn't uh, couldn't you know they four they would have been able to get whatever products to sign on that they did for three because three was such a big hit. So yeah, this is the right. apex of the series. This is when they were. You're right. This is when this is when they were like mainstream culture. Like, you know. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it was everywhere. I mean, there was a cardboard cutout of Freddy Krueger on the boardwalk in Ocean City. Maryland, you know, like that's a that's a I mean, Damn. right next to like, you know, things like the Karate Kid and like I still think it's weird that you think that you know, was a Doc cutout Brown. and not Freddy cuz I think you I think that you I mean, have I was, a photo that's <laughs> proof of Freddy and you're not even I mean, talking about it. I was told that. I mean, I'm I'm trying not to oversell cuz we're not trying to permeate this. Remember like I'm trying to kill it right now, John. Are your parents from Springwood by any chance? <laughs> uh, <laughs> checks notes uh, unfortunately <laughs> and they all, they did pre prepay for a couple burial plots in the same area <laughs> why'd you guys move away from springwood we were just trying to get away there was some heavy shit that went yeah. down and we just tried to get away we just had yeah, to go yeah um oh, anyway. yeah this is this is the I'm, I'm very i'm very excited to go to the next the next pair because yeah. i can't wait to hear what ronald thinks of them because <laughs> i <laughs> i can't wait because i don't know if he even has ever seen them um no yeah okay great this, this is great this is wonderful um, so that'll be a really fun episode. I don't think, I don't think, I think it's been since we did the, um, the, uh, sleepaway camp series that, yeah. that we are required to watch multiple movies for an episode that neither of which are good. <laughs> I think, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, maybe yeah. I'm being too hard on dream child, but I remember it being like the, the ugliness and the kind of 
silliness. It's like everything was kind of reaching a fever pitch in my mind in, in five. Uh, and then six, I remember, I don't even remember much about six at all, except that Johnny Depp comes back and like runs around in a video game at some point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we got Ronald. Well, he, he comes back for like a for a, like an info like a infomercial. Okay. Okay. Like a like a like a don't do drugs. Uh, oh, okay. It's on the television thing. though. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. yeah the, but there is a the video game death in it. that, right? So maybe I'm yes, just remembering. There is. Yes, maybe there I'm just is. remembering yeah. those two scenes. And I together. think that's the one that Breck and Myers in, right? <sighs> yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah. Wow. Maybe I don't know. We'll so we've see. got that to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. John Arbuckle himself from the Garfield films, right? Um, is that Breck and Meyer? I think it is. Or that Jason Lee. Jason Lee's Alvin and the Chipmunks. He's Dave. Okay. He's Dave. And Neil Patrick Harris I, is in some other God, movie. I don't even He's know if Smurfs. I've seen I don't know if I've seen the Garfield films. But I hope you're right. I can't wait. I I, I hope I'm not right because it means I know something about the Garfield films that isn't common knowledge. <laughs> but John Arbuckle, I guess I do know the character's full name. Anyway, that's a that's a tangent. But that yeah. was Nightmare on Elm Street three and four. Uh I, you know, yeah, I'm with you, Steve. This was fun. Like these movies loom large in my mind, and uh, this was this was the one that I was kind of like, okay, yeah, excited for. Yeah, there's yeah, going to be sure. a lot to talk about here. So, well, like John said, we'll get back together in the next month or two and and kind of go through five and six uh, with another episode of this series. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, please subscribe. Please find us on YouTube, where we also have a special series that we do every weekend called Marvel Schmarvel that we talk about all properties, all things having to do with Marvel. It's a YouTube-only series. It uh, comes out every weekend, so if you want to go there, you can subscribe to the YouTube page, and you'll get updates on podcast feeds like this one and also the Marvel Marvel two-for-one. Uh, and if you're listening to them on your special podcasting earbuds like John has, you can uh, subscribe wherever you're listening if you wouldn't mind. If there's an option to review it or rate it, we'd love that too. And uh, just tell somebody about the podcast. If you are subscribed, we'd, uh, we'd love to get get to uh, some new listeners if that's possible. Um and if you do, thank you for that in advance. Um, what else we got? Um, I think next week we're going to be talking, or in the next couple of weeks, at some point we're going to talk about the new Mortal Kombat movie, I hope. Um, I so the new Bob up. Odenkirk movie, Nobody. Comes Nobody's up coming up. Yep, we'll be able to see that. And uh, yeah, so the next couple weeks will be fun. Um, Moviesmovie.com is the main website, but if you want to find past episodes, if you're not on YouTube, not on a a podcasting app uh, pod.link slash movie is where we kind of try to get everybody to go it's a really nice site you can listen to everything right there that we've ever put out you don't have to go anyplace else it's right there um, and it's pretty easy to navigate once you get there um, so yeah take your pick please um, we'll be back in a uh, new episode next week and as always you've made our day thanks bye fight <laughs> <laughs>